Lost the weight upon my shoulder. Now it's easier to walk. I can see the road before me. I am not afraid to fall. All right, welcome to the podcast today. We have uh, Sam and Melissa with us, and they're from a YouTube channel called Growing Up in Polygamy. Yeah, they were so cool. Mm-hmm. I just love talking them a to lot. them. Yeah. And I think we both said like, even listening back to it, like after we kind of recorded it, we were like, it was just a fascinating conversation. Yeah, super fascinating. Because I've never, I mean, I've heard stories and we had um, Tanya from Holding Out Help who helps people get out of polygamy, but she wasn't actually in polygamy. So we've never had anybody on, or I've never talked to somebody in person who has been in polygamy. So no. it's super interesting. Yeah, it was. It really was. And um. Yeah, well, maybe we should tell you guys a little bit about um, the Holding Out Help. We mentioned it the oh, first, yes. but Holding Out Help is an organization here in Utah that helps, I think, like anyone really out of polygamy mm-hmm. and helps them with like resources and if they're trying to leave that community. So we mentioned that's how we first met Sam and Melissa, and they have another, Holding Out Help has another fundraiser event coming up. So yeah, and it is on March 15th, and um, yeah, I wasn't able to go last year. I was out of town, but you went and that's Mm -hmm. where you met Sam and Melissa. And they said the aim of this year's fundraiser banquet is to provide an immersive experience that narrates the day-to-day transformation work holding out help does. You'll hear from four brave clients on how your your support is making a difference in their lives. So that was awesome. And then, um, so you can get a whole table. Like if you have a bunch of you that want to go, it's $400 or one ticket for $50, but that includes the event, and then dinner and dessert as well. Yeah. I thought it was like not a bad price at all. And it's a really cool, it's actually really uplifting because you see all these people in the community kind of coming together and donating time and resources to help these people. And I think what I realized is it's kind of interesting. Like these people are literally so close to us and they're, mm-hmm. they're victims of so many. I mean, it's like all kinds of trafficking. It's all right. the things, you know, all the things that we want to help prevent. So it's a great way to get involved in the community if you're trying to help. And, yeah. and just want to even donate money or whatever. like Right. And yeah. then if you want to listen to Tanya's episode, she was amazing. She had her own story of kind of a hard childhood, alcoholic parents, and then moving to Utah and then starting to take people into her own home and then decided, decided to start this um, nonprofit. So at the beginning of the podcast, um, when we talked to Sam and Melissa, they talk a little bit about leaving mainstream Mormonism. And we know that we have um, a lot of listeners that are in the LDS church. So we just kind of wanted to give like, like a, a heads up heads yeah. up that they talk about leaving um, the LDS religion first. And then we go into their story in a lot of depth um, about leaving polygamy. Yeah. And then kind of like why he left, how, it ha- like how it came about and then how they ended up meeting. But um, when we do talk about them leaving the mainstream church, we don't like go into any doctrinal issues. It's more kind of talking about, you know, spirituality in and out of religion. And, but there are some specific things that like, if you're an active LDS member, maybe you might be sensitive to. So we just, we would just hate for people to start listening and then stop listening to their whole story because maybe you're in that religion and you don't necessarily want to hear about someone else leaving it. So we just thought we would give that heads up that, um, because we would love for you to hear their whole story. Right. Cause I think it's very mm-hmm. powerful and I think it's very, they have a lot of good advice for couples and marriage and yeah. just as part of their story. Um, and just to understand how this polygamous like community runs and, mm-hmm. and the whole Warren Jeffs thing. I mean, it sounds heavy, but it really didn't feel, it was just very interesting. Yeah, and yes, there are parts that are like a little, uh, you know, upsetting to hear and things, but 
overall, I thought it was just really informative and they're really impressive. They're just a really impressive, cool couple. So yeah, they we liked awesome. it a lot, but yeah, if you start listening and, and kind of want to k- skip the LDS faith transition part, we considered splitting into two episodes, especially like with the length and everything, but it just, we felt that it flowed better to keep it all together. But you could always skip to like minute 45 and that's where we, he starts diving into like growing up in polygamy and, and then from there, you know, yeah. we don't talk about their faith out of, um, transition out of the LDS church too much at that point. Yeah. But so we just want to get a head up, heads up to our LDS listeners and we want to thank everybody for listening and yeah. being here with us. And yeah, they are really, um, so actually Sam was the only one that was in the polygamist. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Warren in, Jeff's in that group. I mean, met Melissa right when he left pretty yeah. much. And then they kind of went their own paths and then came back together yeah. later. So yeah, they're just super cute couple. I think I'm, I was just so impressed with them. Very well-spoken mm-hmm. and just open. And we just love talking to them. I, like I said, I was fascinated the whole time. <laughs> I know we, yeah. I mean, we talked to them for over two hours and it went by so fast. It really did. <laughs> yeah. They're just really cool. And they were super nice to make time for us. Cause they actually have quite a following on YouTube and stuff. Like yeah. they do a lot and yeah. I cause think- you can dig more into what we didn't get to. Cause there's so much mm-hmm. on their YouTube channel and we share that. Um, we'll share that in the notes and yeah. everything. And they talk a little bit about this, but they have done a lot of good work with like people reaching out to them, people that come across their YouTube that are in polygamy and like trying to just get information and trying to find mm-hmm. some way out. Yeah. So they're doing a lot of cool things. And I think like we've said, like they're just sharing their story in hopes that it helps other people. And yeah, so yeah, cause really they cool. hadn't planned on it. I guess a friend told them to do it or something. Yeah. And yeah. so they started and didn't realize so many people were so interested in what polygamy had, yeah. and in leaving and in their story so yeah they're awesome so we hope you enjoy this episode yep thanks all right welcome sam and melissa to the podcast today for having, having us. us happy to be here yeah they are um from the growing up in polygamy youtube channel and you may have seen them online they have a, a bunch of really super interesting content and we're just so excited that we have them on with us today so thanks so much for being here of course. We're happy yeah, we're very excited to listen to your story and just, we know there's, there's going to be a lot to your story. So yeah, this will ex- be very excited to hear it. And yeah, I thought I would give just a little background about how I first met Sam and Melissa. So last year we um, were both at the Holding Out Help uh, gala fundraiser dinner. I'm trying to think exactly what they call it, but um, they're an organization here located in Draper, Utah that helps women and children um, out of polygamy and they help them with all kind, like all aspects of it, really like finding housing, finding emotional support and help, um, jobs. And so, yeah, yeah we, and we had Tanya on that's the, yes, the founder of founder. it. Yeah. And it Last was a really season. good episode. Yeah. It was about a year ago. So, um, but yeah, we, I just happened to be sitting at the same table as Sam and Melissa and my husband and I, and it was really great to chat with them. And, um, and I was, you know, it's interesting. I mean, Sam said, yeah, I did actually grow up in polygamy and we're like, Oh really? So <laughs> we started hearing a little about a story there. And ever since then you've been on our minds to invite on the podcast. So this is exciting. Well, <laughs> well thank you. It was very nice meeting you there as well. And, and yeah, we've, we're, we've looked forward to being on here and sharing our story. Yeah. Great. I know that, you know, even just from the name of your podcast, when Sam and I were like, okay, beautiful shifts. And then I was like, oh my word, like there's been so many shifts, like not only in <laughs> Sam's life, but in our marriage together yeah. that I was like, man, I hope they have time for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Well, I'm so glad you guys made the time because you guys have quite the, 
um, just busy schedule, I'm sure, with everything you do. So thanks mm. so much. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I'm hoping to get, last year I was out of town, so I, I was going to go to the event, mm-hmm. and I was out of town, so I'm hoping to go this year. And you guys oh, said awesome. you might be there as well, right? Definitely. Yep, we'll be yeah. there. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we thought along with this episode, we'll share, um, just so in case any of our listeners are interested in what Holding Out Hope does and what the event is, it's coming up in March. So this will go out with a little bit of time if anyone wants to get involved in that. They yeah. are a really cool organization. Yeah, and it's an awesome time for like people to come and meet some of the faces or something that they see on YouTube or connected or like, yeah, I don't know, it's a really fun opportunity to be able to mingle with people. We had some viewers that we had never met before that came and got to come introduce themselves so it's a lot of fun it's a great event oh cool awesome. yeah that's great yeah and tanya was she was just impressive yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they do so much good work yeah mm-hmm. really amazing yeah and hers i thought she was interesting because she didn't have like a background in in mormonism polygamy she's not even from utah yeah. so it's, it's a pretty interesting yeah um conversation a really awesome person so yeah she just has a heart of gold yes <laughs> yeah she does <laughs> for sure yeah okay well let's hop into your guys's story a little bit so maybe you guys can just give us a little um background about you as a couple together and then we'll probably go back in time a little bit to the beginning of where sam's gonna take us in in his story yeah. but yeah sure. tell us a little bit about well, yourselves well melissa Tells a great, t- tells it a lot better than I do when it's okay. when she tells the story of how we met and all of that. So I will just let you take it away, babe. Okay. Well, I guess a little bit about me before we get into our meeting, since we'll have a lot about Sam's growing up here in a minute. But I was raised in the mainstream LDS church my whole life. I grew up in St. George, Utah, and um, Sam and I actually met. He we had a mutual friend that brought him to my 18th birthday party. And we decided we were going to be lunch buddies because my lunch buddy had just left on a mission. And so we were like, let's be lunch buddies. And we went to lunch twice. And I still remember like being like, this feels too much like a date. And I had a missionary and (laughs) I don't know. So we went on two lunch dates and we never spoke again. I was too nice. Yeah. 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 (laughs) More than a friend vibe for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we went, and then I hadn't seen him in a long time. I moved to northern Utah. Sam went on his mission, and I was living in northern Utah for my career. I was a manager in and out, and one day I just felt like I needed to move back to St. George, and I like went to my manager crying because I loved it. I loved my career. I loved everything about it, and moved like six weeks later, and the very first week that I moved back to St. George, I like looked up on the church app like where there's just an app that tells you exactly like what meeting house you're supposed to go to, what time, like when my singles board was. So I go and I go at the right time, the right place. And I get in there and it is the wrong ward. And I was sitting in the very back row, just super ticked off (laughs) because I'm like, I'm trying to go to church and nothing's working out. And I don't even know why I'm here. And then he walked in and it was one of those, like, I recognize his face, but I'm not very good with names. I don't know. So, but I remembered his name. So I like went up and awkwardly like tapped him on the shoulder and was like, Hey, is your name Sam? And he's like, yeah. Now at that time he was like the young single adult ward, um, elders quorum president. So he was buzzing around like a little bee, like very <laughs> extroverted Social, person, yeah. you know, you know how those elders quorum presidents in the YSA, if anyone's been to a YSA ward, you know, that person, like the release yeah. president and the elders quorum president are like those people that are going <laughs> around everywhere. Um, but he didn't remember my name. But he did remember that we had gone to lunch. And so he was like, let's go to lunch for old time's sake. And the next week we had set up a date. I canceled on him to reel him in, of course. But <laughs> um, And then we went on our first date the next week. And we've been together ever since. 
That's we so got cool. engaged. We were like the typical Utah couple that I made fun of all the time because when I lived in northern Utah, I would make fun of all my roommates that got engaged after six weeks. And I lived up there for over three years and was pretty proud of the fact that I hadn't been engaged. Yeah. <laughs> and so then moving back, I was like, well, moving back to my hometown, I'm going to die an old maid, but that's okay. <laughs> and But we did the whole data for six weeks, got engaged, married three months later, been yeah. together for oh, almost wow. 10 years. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. That's awesome. So at that Congrats. point, obviously, uh, based on what she said, I was a strong, active member of the mainstream LDS church when we first met. Yeah. And we were both married in the St. George Temple. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Um, oh, well, that's I, awesome. It's a cute story, though. Yeah. That you super kind of knew each other and then came back together. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, good. Well, thanks for the background. And so we're, you guys are in Las Vegas now, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Do you have any kids? Yeah. So we have two kids. We have a one girl and one boy and they, they're the best. They're so (laughs) much fun. (laughs) (laughs) They are our entire world now. So Mm. that's kind of what we do now. We we're parents. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Moved to Las Vegas, um, for one, uh, for one of Sam's jobs, they moved us Mm. here to Las Vegas and we thought it was going to be like a short, Oh, we'll be here for like a year or so. And now it's been almost five. We moved right after our son was born. And so, yeah, like it a lot more than what we thought we would, surprisingly. And we've been here for a while now. Yeah. So a lot, a lot happened between when we first met and got married and now, but (laughs) yeah, yeah. I don't know if you want to get into that. Yeah. Whatever order you think makes the most sense. If we want to go back in Sam's story from the beginning or kind of go from your meeting to today yeah, with I would, each other i would say with like our meeting to um probably another important line beyond just the story is that like i had been kind of going back and forth with like the lds church and whether or not i believed it was true or not and when i went back to church and i met him in church i thought that was like a for sure sign that the church was true because i'd been led right. to him <laughs> um, and i always say that like when we dated i felt like the spirit more Hmm. while dating him than I had like the whole rest of my life combined and I only mentioned that because as things progressed and we ended up leaving the mainstream LDS church together after being married um, and that progression for me a lot of like my testimony and my faith had been built around my love for Sam and around the fact that he helped me like I don't want to say come back because I wasn't like I don't know I think I definitely had like issues that I had to overcome I remember praying like the first week we met being like, I have to figure out and know if I have a testimony of the temple right now because I know this man's going to want to get married in the temple. And right. like, mm-hmm. I have to figure that out. And I was praying so hard and just trying to figure out what I believe to see like if I myself could be in the church forever because with him being a convert, people always told me, everyone around was like, he's going to be an apostle someday. And <laughs> he had very, you know, we got married and typically people go and they, <clears throat> when they first get married, they um, have like primary callings where they get to teach together, right? right. No, and yeah. so we get into our first ward and we're all excited. I'm like, oh, we're going to get a calling together. It's going to be so great. And they're like, we want you to teach the 17 and 18 year olds. You know, we think you guys would be a good example for them. We're like, this would be so fun. And the day that they were going to announce it over the, over the pulpit, they like look down at us and they're like, some of you are going to be confused, but we'll talk to you after. Oh, and we're just like, okay. okay. And then we go and meet, and they wanted him in the elders' quorum presidency. Oh, and then wow. he was like an elders' quorum president by the time we were 25. Oh, oh, wow. When they shifted it to being like over all the men, there was like no more high priest quorum and stuff. And so I think along with our spiritual journey was me knowing that like the 
mainstream church, there was a lot in store for Sam. And I had to be like mentally prepared for the fact that I was going to be like his wife and whatever that meant for those higher callings, which are normally a big toll on the wife as well. But yeah, just kind of mentally going into our marriage. That's kind of where my mindset was, is that I needed to know for sure that my testimony was solid enough to be standing next to the priesthood holder that he was and that he would be. Yeah. I was very much in, you know, I was, I was all about the church. I was very involved. I would never turn down a calling. I was very faithful. I, you know, I mean, I was willing to do whatever it took to, to, in my mind at that point, please God. And, you know, and so as you know, and many know to, when you are in a religion, in most cases, these high demand type religions, it's all about pleasing God. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that other things aren't important, but that seems to be number one. Well, I was just thinking, like, I could understand when you were saying, like, you're having questions, and then you meet him, and you think that's an answer to your prayer. Because I do feel like, like, I was a little bit similar, like anything that was a good feeling must mean it's true, that the church was true, whether it had anything to do with the church or not. Like, in mm-hmm. some ways, he had everything to do with the church because he was in, and then the temple marriage was obviously a big thing. But also just how you felt about him and whether you love him or not shouldn't have anything to do yeah. with the church. But, like, any feeling <laughs> makes you think, oh, okay, that means he's the one and I have to stay in and it must be true. <laughs> yeah, well, and I oh, was yeah. just thinking, you know, how you were explaining that you felt the spirit very strong when you were dating. And I'm sure, like, Sam's story is super I'm sure hard, like you're going to share with us about, you know, how you left, um, polygamy and everything, but I'm sure also very inspiring. So I'm sure like the feelings of being inspired by him probably also made you feel like, Oh, this is the spirit. And I mean, I'm not trying to say like it wasn't or anything, but it's just hard. Like there's a lot of feelings and, and then on top of it, you're falling in love with him. And, you know, so there was just a lot going into that, but yeah, that's some super interesting backstory. So I'm glad you shared that. Yeah, and yeah. something going along with that, something that is I often say is that <clears throat> sometimes when people say, oh, this is a feeling of the spirit, that, that can be intertwined with a feeling of love mm-hmm. or even sometimes mistaken for the spirit when it's, when it's actually love that they're feeling. And I know that some people would say, well, love and the spirit is the same thing, but it eh, depends on who you ask because right. if, if that were the case, then somebody in some religion that uh, that maybe that person doesn't agree with could also be feeling the same spirit if it's love that they're talking about. So anyway, that's just a, a hand in hand, I think, going into that when we were dating. I think she was feeling love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and I think there was a certain amount of like his service, I think you're always going to feel really good things when you're serving other people. Mm-hmm. And right. he was in a position too, where as elders come present, like the girls who were in college, you know, it was a college ward. So there were girls who weren't around their family and we'd be on a date and he would get a call that this girl needs a blessing right now. And, right. you know, we'd go as a couple and he would give her a blessing. And those, I think those opportunities watching somebody that you're falling in love with serving people and caring about others more than himself it gives you that confidence of like, oh my word, like if he cares this much about these random people that he barely knows, like how much more and how much better is he going to be to me when he loves me and how good is he going to be as a husband, as a father? Like, I think there's so much, so much that all of those service opportunities gave you to show love to everyone around you too, that made me fall more in love with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but. that totally makes sense. Yeah. The church does provide a lot of good service opportunities. And I think 
And a lot of times we do meet our spouses, you know, while we're in church or, you know, in those settings. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it is kind of a cool thing because you can see your spouse serving, but yeah, it for sure probably could get some of those feelings a little intertwined and and hard to decipher sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah. So then at what point if, um, you know, along the way of your marriage, did you start to question again or, and was it you first? Um, yeah, no, that's a great question. And it's funny because I always say that during our spiritual journey, like we were always in the same book, but people, I think a lot of times have this idea that like one person like led the other out or right. one person grabbed the other person. And we are very, very lucky that we went through it like pretty hand in hand together. So it originally started because I got asked to speak in state conference and, um, so I'm preparing my talk for state conference and, uh, we were driving from Las Vegas, <laughs> funny enough. And I just turned to Sam and I said, do you feel like the savior's checklist for us and the church's checklist for us are different? And he was like, well, yeah, you know, and we started talking and I was like, I feel like the savior's checklist is really, really short and simple. And I feel like ours is really long and complicated. And so we just started talking on that drive. And um, and so talking to Sam about this, like I was a little bit nervous because my family, my parents, um, my dad had come out as an atheist to my Mormon mom like two years before this. And it was like blowing up my family at the time. And so there was a lot of like we didn't know if they were going to get divorced, or if they were going to stay together. My mom was absolutely miserable. She thought her eternal salvation was at stake. And so before I married Sam, I know, you know, I kind of mentioned it before, but like the reality of if I commit to this, I'm going to stay in it forever meant a little bit more to me because I saw what had happened with my dad changing his views on his own and like announcing it later, like not having my mom be part of that process. And I never wanted that for my family. And I was determined that I would never, ever, ever do that to my family because I was watching my parents' um, relationship blow up. And so... When I asked him these questions, I was more just looking for like, hey, do you have an answer for this? Like, you're a return missionary, priesthood holder, Mm -hmm. all the things. And he was like, yeah, I've definitely thought of that. And what about this, this, and this? And we just started having this conversation back and forth. And I was recently reading in one of my journals, like looking back, I'm glad that I journaled through our faith transition a lot. (laughs) But there was one day when he just looked at me and he was like, you know that no matter what you believe, I will still love you. And I was like, oh, it was huge. It was like, and I had written this down. Like, it was just like this huge weight off of my shoulders of this idea of I'm going to have to fake it no matter what, because I don't want to be like my parents, Mm -hmm. you know? And so there was definitely a shift in my going forward. And I said, okay, well then is it okay if I just dive deep into these things, these questions, you know, some that I'm having right now with you, some that I've had in the past. And he's like, absolutely. We're just going to come. We're just going to get stronger. Like, this is perfect. And so we were like, okay, let's do it. Let's ask all these questions and let's dive deep. (laughs) And we're going to come out. I mean, my journal for months, just, oh, we're going to be like the strongest, most spiritual couple in the whole church. We're just going to be the strongest couple once we have the answers to these questions. And we just kept asking and asking and Mm -hmm. going to the right places, you know, the temple frequently and bishops and stake presidents. We met with this. I mean, at this point, he was the um, elders quorum president. So he had a close relationship with the stake president. And so <laughs> And he was my direct leader above leader me above within him. the church. So it made sense that it would that we would go to or that I would go to him with any questions <laughs> I might have. But yes, Melissa hinted at this, but just to be clear, 
we had no intention of ever leaving the church mm-hmm. at this time. Mm-hmm. It was all, we were still in it. We were going to all the right places, the leaders of the church. We were going to the scriptures. We were going to the temple. We were praying. It was all about building our faith, finding the answers to our questions, and coming out stronger members of the church. And that's that's that was the right. whole idea to begin with. Yeah, that's yeah. so similar to my husband and I, like, I remember thinking, actually, it's good I'm doubting, and it's good we're talking, and it's good we're asking questions, because I thought the exact same thing. We will come out as, like, one of the strongest, like, couples in the church, because we're <laughs> going to, like, build our faith and build our, you know, whatever. But, yeah, it was ex- very similar Yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. I was like, all right, we're going to do this right, and we're going to – it's going to make us stronger. So I can completely yeah. relate. And it was that. months yeah. of, like, I'm a deep diver, and Sam's more a broad picture person. Yep. And so we're always in the same book, but we don't even necessarily – have to be on the same page our pages are just next to each other so we went through this whole journey together where like i would deep dive research all day long as i was a stay-at-home mom and i'm reading 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 and he'd come home and then i'd spill it all and blurt it all out over the dinner table and be like okay this this this, 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 this. and i would want like all the nitty-gritty and he was like okay so overall this just couldn't be this way and i'm like well yeah but it's because this exact and he's like well but it just you know couldn't be that way (laughs) you know it's kind of a funny thing i mean her concerns were also concerns of mine as well i was concerned about the same things but she definitely focused on things that i didn't really see as a huge problem uh or not focused but you were concerned about them Like more details. Yes. And, but for me, it might be just my personality, but it might also be that I had already left the church before joining the Mormon church. And so for me at that point, it was like, okay, I've seen so much. I've already done deep diving nitty nitty gritty when I left the FLDS church. At this point, I just want to step back and say, okay, what's happening? What is religion? why is religion, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and so I just started really just looking at the overall picture and if it would, you know, what would be best. It really did come down to, at this point, we had two little kids and it really did come down to what is going to be best for our children? Because now at this point, it's not just what's best for us. We have to start looking into what will be best for our family. Yeah. And as we started going like down this rabbit hole and meeting with stake presidents just to not really get any real answers. And I mean, they were great men doing the best that they could, but there wasn't really good answers to the questions or answers that we felt comfortable with. And so our little girl was going to be three. And so we kind of made a deadline for ourselves. You know, we had, it was about, I'd say nine months of deep diving. And then we had this move to Las Vegas and our little boy was only six weeks old when we moved here. And Um, I guess you can kind of share your part of like asking to be released and stuff. Yeah. So it was, it was tough. I reached this point where even though I didn't fully disagree with the teachings of the church, I felt uncomfortable standing in front of all of the man in my ward and being the one that is preaching and teaching and guiding them in their lives in some way or another and sharing things that I didn't fully agree with at the time. I didn't fully understand. I was at a point where I wasn't sure what I believed. And so I just felt very uncomfortable, almost feeling like I was lying in some cases with what I was teaching them. And so there, there came a point where I just felt so uncomfortable that I 
I needed to be released from my calling. And so that's, that's what I did. I went and asked if I could be released. Obviously, there were a lot of questions and kind of confusion going on there, but I felt like I was very honest and straightforward with my answers. And, and so I was released from my calling. Well, and I think yeah. leadership at that point, they knew kind of where we were because that was in the spring of 2019. But in the fall, like we had, we had gone to the stake president and stuff. Like I remember that temple recommend interview that fall mm-hmm. and they're like, well, do you believe Justice Smith was a prophet of God? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like I told them, like, I don't know to like multiple questions. I said, I don't know, but I feel like I need to go to the temple to find my answers. And that was my, like, we were very honest and open about that. And so I think they did know that because of <laughs> those temple right. recommended yeah. interviews. And, they, and we did. We got a temple recommend. And they're like, okay, well, yeah, good luck in the temple. Like, we <laughs> hope you get your answers, you right. know. Um, but it kind of worked out really well that we ended up having a job opportunity to move out of St. George, which is, like, very small town. Everybody's LDS. Your entire neighborhood is your ward. And we moved to Las Vegas at the same time. So I don't, we didn't have a lot of like the community issues that I think a lot of people who leave in Utah have, which right. was, we were super grateful for. Mm. Right. We didn't feel like a lot of judgment or anything because like Melissa said, we almost at the same time that I was released, we moved to mm. Las Vegas. And so it was just like, I, I think most of the ward just thought, oh, he moved. And so moving, that's why right. they got a new elders corn president. Uh, yeah. 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 That is a really hard yeah. position to be in because I was similar and I was, just with like the sunbeams and I still felt I wasn't being authentic to me, but I also wasn't being honest to like all these parents that expected me to teach these lessons the way they believed or felt like they should be taught. And so I was like, I have to be released because I can't like, I wasn't ready to leave the church at the time either, but I was like, but I can't do this and feel dishonest right to myself or to these kids whose parents expect me to give them the lesson about the prophet when I couldn't say, I believed in the prophet at the time. So it was like, you know, hundred oh, percent. Yeah. At yeah. that, at that time, like I was asked to speak state conference. I think it was April of 2018 and I was the primary chorister. So for anybody that doesn't know, we're the, um, the primary programs, the huge deal in September. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're getting all these songs ready. And some of the songs about the prophets was like killing, like hurting my heart. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm teaching. Like I'm having the kids sing these songs and it was just like, I remember crying in the program and I think everybody thought that it was because I was feeling the spirit from them singing. And I was like actually crying because of like the torment, the internal torment yeah. of like teaching these kids to sing about these prophecies I didn't believe were speaking for God. And so it was me being torn and what looked like probably a spiritual experience to everyone else. So I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. It's so hard. It is so to hard. Feel yeah. like you aren't doing what people or parents are expecting or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I do, you know, you get the sense from some people, I think that they think it's easy to leave the church that like, oh, that's the easy route. You just don't want to do something on Sunday. You don't want to call in. You want to drink coffee. You're not, you don't want to wear your garments, whatever it is. But like, it's hard. Like, because you have so many things. You have your family. You have your, yeah, I live in Utah. So I had the neighborhood and the ward. And, you know, you, you just, and you make up stories in your head, what you think they're thinking about you or that you want them to know you really are a good person just because you don't believe anymore. You know, you're not a bad person. And so it's mm-hmm. like, it's really hard and it is, was easy to just kind of like, okay, well, we'll just live it our way, but still go like, but then, it, you know, not authentic and yeah, it can be super hard and not to mention that's even not even relationships with people you're close to and your family and their sadness or disappointment in it. And it, there's just so much to it, but you have to yeah. be kind of true to yourself. Like, and what yeah. feels right. 
Yeah. And I was just thinking about, you know, like the internal struggle too. I mean, on top of all the external things like callings and family and, you know, the internal struggle is so hard when you're going through a faith crisis. And I really liked how you guys brought up that when you first started, you know, doing your research and deep diving, like, I mean, I think for the majority people come about it very honestly and with good intentions. And, you know, anyone that's been through a faith crisis, like I remember when I was kind of starting to go down with the questions, I was just like, I just know that my heart is in the right place and that God will understand like whatever, wherever any of this leads me, any of this research or, and I was a lot like you probably, Melissa, like I'm a, I'm a fact person and like a (laughs) researcher and I love, you know, getting, and I love history and I love stories and, and learning and, and like really fact checking, you know, like sourcing Mm -hmm. and everything. So, but I just remember thinking like, like, I know my heart is in the right place. So I know that, and I know that God knows that. So wherever this, this takes me. And I feel like you guys are saying the same thing. And yeah, I had the same experience. Yeah. I remember actually mowing the lawn and thinking, because I, mine was more like a internal feeling and like maybe some social issues that got me started on the path or like what, right. kind of like what you said, like, what does God really want or what does the church really want? And are those aligned? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, so that's so similar as well. And I remember feeling the same thing. Like this is out of like, a good place. And I just remember mowing the lawn thinking, okay, you know, like if this is an okay path, go down, because then I was starting to go down the path of like maybe history and other questions I had. And I was kind of asking the question, is this okay? Can I start researching this? And is this, and I just felt like an overwhelming, like you would, you know, the spirit where I went with it, but it was out of like all out of a good place of wanting to know the truth and wanting to know these internal struggles in my own heart. Like how can I get to the truth and get to a good place? Yeah. yeah. I think a hard aspect of anybody that's like leaving too is that we feel so much pressure to prove we aren't the worst case yes. scenario. Right. Yeah, we're not going to become an alcoholic or a drug addict or. Yes. Right. Not only that, but I feel like everybody knows that person who left. Yeah. Like you said, and like went clear over here or in my case, because my dad had left and announced that he was an atheist to our family. There was this huge, like, I had so much fear about telling anybody about Sam and my journey in my family because I knew I was going to be lumped in with my dad, that it was going to somehow be, and we didn't even tell my dad for the longest time because I didn't want anyone to think that we were in like cahoots with the atheist in the family, right? (laughs) You have to so, you have to so often prove to people that you aren't like this other person they know, or you aren't like that other kid who went over here Mm -hmm. and it's sometimes exhausting to try to constantly feel like I can't just continue to be myself. I have to prove yes. who I'm not mm-hmm. to people, so which true. nobody else has to feel that within the church. They don't have to prove mm. that they're not a bad person when they're within the church. But if you leave the church belief even, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm just changing my beliefs. I have to prove that I'm good to all of these members of the church that I am the same person all the time and proving yourself like you said, it can just, it can be exhausting because <laughs> yeah. we had a similar path. We were like on our, like the path was together, which I do think going back to that in a second, that's super important, the communication. But, um, I remember because I'd be so worried. He didn't care so much. He's like, I'm just me. If they don't like me, they don't like me. I'm still the same person in the church or out of the church. And I was, but I was so concerned about what my friends would think. And I wanted him to know I was a good person. I still wanted to serve and I still wanted to see goodness in the world. And he's like, you have to like, just let it play out. And with, with you know with time everyone will realize you're still you and it's not not this way because you left the church and you're not whatever but that you're still your same person but you have to give it time and be patient and just be you don't yeah don't try so hard or don't try to prove anything because it's not it's exhausting it's not a way to live a life (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, that's definitely more how Sam is. Too. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, definitely. It's. I feel like I say that a lot. I'm like, oh, I don't care. What what what's important if what they think about us, right? We know we're doing what we should be doing. We're doing what's best for our family, mm-hmm. and who's to tell us that we're not good right. parents, right? You know, so yeah. that's kind of my mentality as well, similar to your husband, but. At the same time, it is very difficult because I see the relationship with so many people start to shift Mm -hmm. as they realize that you don't have the same beliefs as they Mm -hmm. do. And it is also sad to see that because of our belief shifting, it is physically making others sick because they believe so strongly Mm -hmm. still that the church is true. And I saw this the same way within the FLDS church when I left there. They believe that we are destroying the eternal family mm-hmm. and that we are walking away from the only truth and the only happiness. And so it's just this big deal. And we, all of us here, we can understand where they're coming mm-hmm. from because at right, one point or another, we mm-hmm. felt the same way they do. Exactly. Yep. And I think that's important for us as people that move away from a faith or a, a religious belief. It's important for us to always remember that, that you know, try to put ourselves back in the shoes that we were in there, you know, and be understanding to those that judge us because we used to judge people yeah, too, unfortunately. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the culture. Yes. And it is part of the, like the heartbreak of parents or, you know, siblings or spouses, or whoever, that that bond is broken. Like if you stop believing then that eternal family is not there and it is a sad thing for them because that's how, you know, of course we all want to be with our families and <clears throat> and stuff and so to have that be yeah severed or whatever is really hard yeah and it's hard because I I do feel like there's some people that are maybe a little more progressive in their thinking or just in a more loving way they'll say but it, it will all work out but they're still very sad because they don't know how it's going to work out because really the doctrine says this and so it's just really hard like whether they're kind of a really orthodox believer that believes like oh these eternal ties are going to be cut off or they have this more loving approach, but it's still heartbreaking. So I just, mm-hmm. it's just hard all yeah. around. Yeah. For all sides. Mm-hmm. Yep. All around. I think one of the hardest things too is, or that I think people still in it, you know how earlier you guys were saying that, um, they underestimate how hard it is to yeah. leave that leaving's the easy way. And I remember being terrified of being a parent. So here we had like our little girl who is almost three. Our little boy is like a couple months old. And I just remember looking at Sam and being like, I don't know how to like be a mother without like primary and without all these things that I had growing up that were a piece of my life. Like I almost don't know how to be a parent. Like I can look up on LDS.org how I'm supposed to feel or think about just about everything under (laughs) the sun. And so it's a huge, scary world. And I think it was probably like it takes a lot of time too. sometimes people think, oh, well, you just decided to leave one day. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. like two years into this. I remember telling Sam, you know, I've been so sad and not knowing like how I'm going to be a good mom. And I think it just turned to anger. Yeah. Yeah. And there was like a distinct moment where I thought, how dare an organization tell me that I am not inherently and divine in nature, a mother. Right. How dare they make me think that I can't be a mother without them. Yeah. Like that's going against God. (laughs) God (laughs) says I could be a mother. Right. Mm -hmm. And that that's divine in my nature. And the, there should be no organization that can convince me that I have to have them in order to yeah, do that. I think that's part of it, too. Right. so many stages. I mean, there is a sadness. Like, okay, this is something I put my whole life into and my whole self into. And my kids were older. I raised some of them in the church. 
And so, yeah, so it goes from sadness to anger to like, I don't know, just all over the place. And I think eventually, I mean, hopefully that's it. You land in peace. I actually, at the same time I'd feel anger, I'd feel like beauty. Like I'd feel like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing the world in color. I'm less judgmental. I love to read and think and come up with ideas or how do I think of this now? Because I think the church gives you the answers to everything. And so then you have to regroup and, and going back to your communication. Like I think a lot of times you're scared to tell your spouse or your parents or whatever that you're going through a faith crisis or a spiritual journey of sorts. And I think it's so important, like you said, to, at the very beginning to let them know. So it's not a shock to their system because you've been processing it for a really long time. But if you process it with them, whether they end up on the same page or not, um, or in the same timeline or whatever, um, I think it's so important because then wherever you're at, you have to rethink things like, Hey, what do we think about Sundays now? Like, do we feel like they're a holy day or are we going to go to brunch or are we going to go to the park? You know, like you just have to kind of reassess different things in your life. And that can be like scary. And even with parenting can be scary and think, okay, maybe this, I can't do this without the church. But then if you're communicating and talking and I think you can figure out like, wow, this can still really be a beautiful life and a beautiful way to raise children. And there's just many ways you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about, you know, how you said you had that realization that, well, kind of the anger of like, wait, how, how dare they make me think that I need this one organization, you know, to be a good mom. But it's, it's strange because you're raised in it and you feel that so strongly, but you kind of start to realize how insular, like, is that the word that, that it is? Because then all of a sudden you're my, you're, you look around and you'd be like, oh wait, there's good parents all over the world (laughs) in everywhere. And like the majority of people, I mean, what is it? 2.2% of the population or maybe even less that is LDS or more, you know, has any, and again, not to like cut down the religion or say that it's less, but yeah, you can be a great mom in the church, but you can also be a great mom and dad outside of the church. So, and then I think there's that relief. It is just like a wave of emotions. It's the anger and then it's the relief and it's the beauty Mm -hmm. that you see. Yeah. Yeah. That, Oh wait, Mm -hmm. but it's an emotional roller coaster (laughs) because you're going through all of that. So yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think some of those, like it was a, a little bit harder for me in some pieces of it, like what you're saying where I'm unraveling my childhood faith Mm -hmm. where Sam came from a different perspective. And so there were things that were harder for me to let go of. Like the idea of not raising my kids in primary was like, not a big deal. Right. Right. He's like, yeah. Yeah. At that point, I mean, for me and we can get into my story as well, but for me, transitioning out of a religion, it was very different because I had already done that. I feel like I had already, let so many people down (laughs) yeah that part so i had to i had to build or grow this tougher shell i guess you could say because i felt i felt like i had already sort of been through that with my parents and with other loved ones and community and family and so it was just a very different uh, experience for me when it came to our transition out of the mainstream lds church yeah Yeah. So do we, do you guys have any more to talk about this transition out of the mainstream LDS church? If we can keep going with that or we can start back to Sam's story. I would just, I guess, and we can wrap it up with this because I think this is probably good, but I would just say that, like you were saying, I think there is peace and healing and there's so much beauty. Mm -hmm. Like it is, life is so good. Like (laughs) there's someone out there who's going through the thick of it. And I just like, my heart goes out for people because I understand how hard it is, but Mm truly feeling like every choice we make as parents is because it's something that 
him and I decide together without outside influence, you know, and making decisions for ourselves, realizing that there are decisions that don't hold morality. Mm -hmm. Clothing doesn't hold morality. Like a piercing doesn't hold morality. It's just a choice. You know, there's certain things. Coffee can be just a drink. I always say, I still need to get a little plaque (laughs) because Sam does like coffee, you know, (laughs) and coffee doesn't hold morality. You know, Mm -hmm. things, things like that where we just are moving forward and life really is just so good being able to uh, make those decisions for yourself. Mm, yeah. Yes. Add anything? Definitely. No, I agree. I think that uh, we went through all the stages, but at this point we have definitely found peace and happiness. We love the opportunity to sit down together as husband and wife and decide what we feel is best for our family. No one else needs to be involved in that. Right. We can, we can sit down and have the liberty to choose. And obviously we are, I think we're doing a great job. Yeah. We're raising great, great kids. We are teaching them the difference between right and wrong. And I feel like we're doing a great job at it, honestly. And I don't think we need anyone else's input in that. Yeah. So we've definitely found peace at this point. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and it is. It's like, you know, listeners that are in the church and it works for them and they can find beauty there. People that are in the midst of it, like you said, like there really is like, beauty to become you know, coming for like in the future if it's hard right now there's mm-hmm. things that are going to be you're going to learn a lot about yourself and um just find colorful beautiful humans i think i had more of a pre- appreciation for just people in general that like mm-hmm. i was like wow like there's just some amazing people and they're not lds i think i had this mindset like everybody i don't know like it's not like i really thought that but it was more after i left that i was like wow they're just amazing people that i can learn from i think i always thought that there were amazing people but that if they join the church they could be that yes, much right maybe that's kind of that much happier so i i had lots of friends that weren't lds growing up um, my parents were both converts so like i didn't have the mentality of like oh you can only have friends that are mm-hmm. lds like i definitely had more broad range of friends but it was always the mentality of like oh my gosh they are such good people if they join the church whoo, yeah yeah they would be <laughs> yeah. like they be could amazing. be so much even happier <laughs> like they could you know and so even when you're looking and you don't think you're being judgmental, yeah. there's still that aspect of, but they could be more or they could be happier. Yeah. That's an interesting thing else that we could probably unpack for hours is the happy thing, like mm-hmm. that you can't be happy right. outside the church. And I think that was what scared my parents, like that they didn't want us to not be happy. And it was really validating. My dad was very understanding. And he said one day, so how are things going? Cause I was kind of like, I think we're going to take a sabbatical, you know? And he was like, well, I was really worried you guys wouldn't be as close as a family or that you wouldn't be happy, but I can see that you're very close as a family and you seem genuinely happy in the place you're at. And that's all I want for you guys, which was very like, mm. I think a good lesson for lots of people. If we can just let people be mm. in their, in their space and their place in life and not judge whether they're happy or not. Cause it's not our place to decide if they are. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking, you know, kind of back to, you know, maybe, kind of opening our minds to the, I guess it's, to me, it's kind of like when there's no longer one right way that people need to live. So like you said, like you can look at your non LDS friends and realize like they do have all that they need. And that's, and all of a sudden, like, and I can actually learn something from them. It's not just that we have the one right religion and oh, if only they could join this, you know, and and think like I think and believe like I believe, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like just realizing if there's not one right way to live, then, oh, wait, the whole world has something to offer that we can yeah, learn that we from. can learn from. I like mm-hmm. that a lot. Yeah, you can accept that. I think another one, too, that for us we've talked about a lot is accepting people's spiritual experiences and not negating them. Mm-hmm. So just as an example, like 
you know, if somebody said they had a super spiritual experience and they are Hindu, when I was a true believing member of the LDS church, I'd be like, well, that might be the light of Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has the light of Christ or the power of prayer, but I like would negate their spiritual experience because they didn't have the priesthood power or, oh, they say that they had healing in that religion, but they don't have the priesthood. Mm -hmm. So that can't be the same as the priesthood healing powers that I have in mind. So there was always this idea of like their spiritual experiences were lesser than ours as well because they didn't have the fullness. They didn't have the gift of the Holy Ghost. They just maybe had an experience with it, right? Mm, totally. That's mm. only for members. Or they don't have priesthood power, so they can't have the full healing and full blessings the same way that we do. And so one thing for us is just loving to hear people's spiritual experiences within whatever religion they're in and accepting that as I believe you and I validate that experience for you. Yeah. And being able to say that like truly with an open heart instead of always thinking, oh, maybe you did, but maybe it was this. Right. Right. You know? right. I think of it as like trying to make it make sense within the Mormon framework or the LDS framework, you know, and, and letting go of yeah. that and being like, like you said, it doesn't have to mean the light of Christ or the Holy ghost. It can just be, they had that experience and it was really powerful for them. And it's every bit as valid as the experiences that I've had in the LDS church or even not, you know, worshiping in an LDS church outside of it. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, and Sam, this is might be a good <laughs> transition into some of Sam's stories, but Sam had crazy spiritual experiences. Mm. You want to share those? Yes. Yeah, so in the FLDS church, so I was born and raised in the FLDS church there in on the border of Utah and Arizona, very well known as either Colorado City, Hildale, Utah, or Short Creek. When people refer to Short Creek, it's both of the cities combined. It's kind of like one small town altogether there right on the border. So I was born and raised there. When I was born, Rulin Jeffs was the prophet, and Rulin Jeffs is Warren Jeffs' father. And then in 2002, Rulin Jeffs passed away, and Warren Jeffs basically just told the community, hey, my father told me I'm now the prophet, and uh, most everyone believed him. And, and a lot of people had what they would say were faith-promoting experiences or revelations, whatever you want to call it, that told them that he was supposed to be the prophet. So Warren Jeffs became the prophet as I was a young boy and took over. And everything at that point, it's all over the news now, but Warren Jeffs is currently in prison in a prison in Texas right now for abuse, um, forcing young girls to get married, and child abuse, and all sorts of different things that he's in prison for. So he's, he's in prison for multiple life sentences at this point. But as a young boy growing up in the FLDS church, I thought that I had the one and only truth on this earth. Even though there were, you know, at, at its peak, about 15,000 members of the FLDS church, which is very small compared to a lot of other religions out there, we were told that we had the only truth, and I believed it, and it was special that we were such a small group, because in my mind, or even in the scriptures, it talks about how in the last days there will be few people that believe in and that are true followers of Jesus Christ. And so we believe that we were just those few chosen people on this earth and the rest of the very unlucky humans didn't get to have the special truth that we had. 
but before before Warren Jeffs took over, I would say that I had a great childhood. I was born in a and raised in a place where the big, beautiful back mountains were my backyard. And on the other side of the mountains that I grew up on is Zion National Park, just to give an idea of how beautiful the surrounding area was. And I felt like I was lucky enough to be born in a really good family. I felt very loved. I, I mean, to the best of their ability, given the circumstance that they were taught to be parents in a certain way by the church. But even all of that, you know, all of the teachings of the church commanding the, you know, the, the father of the household to be almost like this ruler and king over his family, I felt like I was lucky enough to be in a home that he did the best he could. And I did feel that he loved me. And I especially felt like my mother did everything she could to be very close to her children and have that really good uh, relationship with us. Mm. That being said, my mother was not the only mother in the house because my father practiced polygamy and actually had four wives when during most of my childhood. So in the FLDS church, polygamy is very much taught and is not only taught, but it is required that you need to accept polygamy as a law in the heavens because in the next, uh, once we die and move on to the next uh, side, Polygamy is also going to be practiced there as well, and it's necessary. So it was very a unique childhood now, now that I am from the outside looking in. But during the time that I was raised in it, having four mothers in the home, it was perfectly normal to me. And I felt like, you know, having all of these siblings, I have about four, uh, 36 siblings-ish. Uh, I always forget if it's 35, 36, <laughs> somewhere around there. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of all of them. But a lot of a lot of kids in the home, just a big, big family. But I felt like I was pretty lucky to always have friends, always to have people to, to play with and, and people to be around. So honestly, I felt like I was very lucky and had a great childhood growing up out there. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. And did you have spiritual experiences out there? Yeah. <laughs> yes, back I did. To the spiritual experience. Yes, thing. T- coming back to that. So, oh my goodness, there there were a lot. And like I said, I believe that I had the only truth. So, if any at that point in the FLDS, if any other religion were to tell me that they were experiencing um, spiritual experiences or that they were talking with God or any of that kind of thing, and yes, even the Mormon Church. In fact, <laughs> funny enough, uh, we. At least I personally, and it was a thing around the community for some reason, that the mainstream LDS church was the abom- the great and abominable oh, church okay. talked about in the, the Book of Mormon. Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we looked at the Mormon church as this big, shiny, wicked church that was doing everything wrong the because they had the, the truth. Mm, yeah. They had the truth and then they left the truth because they didn't want to follow God's law and continue practicing polygamy. Right. Yes. So, yeah. just so you know, you guys were raised in a <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, but that was kind of the idea that I had. And so, the, the idea of anyone else having spiritual experiences when I was growing up in the FLDS church, just I wouldn't have believed it. Mm. And But personally, this just goes to show the power of teaching, the power of training the brain to believe certain things. But... I had a lot, a lot of spiritual experiences. 
And I do feel like that some of them were directly through love. It was love that I was feeling. And others were just because that's what I was conditioned to believe. For example, when Ruthen Jeffs, Warren's father, was getting, you know, he was getting sick. He had a couple strokes and he was about to pass away. We had, or I multiple times would actually visit their home because my one of my sisters, one of my older sisters, married Ruland Jeffs when he was about 80. Oh. She was, I believe, his 60th wife. Oh, my gosh. And she was, I believe, 19 at the oh, time. Wow. Wow. So this was Ruland Jeffs. Mm. And so because of that connection, I went to his home and his offices multiple times. And every time I entered into his home, and, Ruland, and Warren Jeffs was often there as well, I felt what I thought was the most powerful out of this world experience that was so strong and so real that to this day if i think back on those moments i can still feel the peace and the love and the joy that i thought i was feeling as i walked into the jeff's home hmm. and especially when they would shake our hands we could, see, I mean, they could see right through our souls. I mean, it, we thought they knew everything and, and that they were in direct communication with God at all times. And so it was just this powerful, powerful experience. And now knowing that during that exact same time, Warren Jeffs was abusing his own family behind closed doors just goes to show you that God could not have been in that home, but yet I felt as though he was, and I had very powerful spiritual experiences because Mm. of it. And that was just one. I had a lot of spiritual experiences aside from that within my own family as well. And one of them was actually, I was healed on the spot when my father commanded me to be healed. Hmm. And I don't know, do do you want details on that? It's kind of a long story. Sounds interesting. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So when I was a young boy, I was probably, oh man, how old would have I been? Maybe 10 or 11 years old. I came down with something. I'm not even sure to this day what it was. I was told that it was an evil spirit had hold of me. But basically, I was in so much pain, specifically from my head, that I couldn't even move. I couldn't sit up in bed. I couldn't walk. And so for multiple days, in order to, to do anything, I had to have someone help me or carry me, or something. It was it was just a miserable, miserable few days. And this was going on for, like I say, maybe three days. And then Sunday came, and I was told that Father was going to dedicate the home. And so, yes, in the FLDS church, they do dedicate the home. They also dedicate their cars. And what they, they do it to basically command any evil spirits that would dwell in those areas to be gone so that they would be safe and that they wouldn't be able to be, um, I guess, tempted or, or in other, harmed in any other way by evil spirits. So anyway, this Sunday, he was going to rededicate the home. So they had felt that uh, for some reason, evil spirits had entered in. It was time to rededicate the home and to cast out any evil spirits. And so I had a couple of my brothers help me, and they carried me carried me up to a chair, which they sat me in in the in the living room. And oh man, I, I will never forget the feelings that I felt 
and the faith that I had that the moment my father commanded the evil spirits to leave the home, that I would immediately be healed. I just knew it as a young boy. I had no doubt. And I, as I sat there and he stood up and he rededicated the home and he commanded the evil spirits to leave, I immediately felt 100%. I stood up. I walked out of the, r- of the room with the rest of the family after we were done and went and had some dinner and refreshments. And it was immediate. There was no waiting around for it. The moment he said those words, it was done. And I was perfectly fine. Wow. So it's just a very powerful experience, which people from the outside looking into the FLDS church, and most people know the FLDS church for the awful things that Warren Jeffs has done and other, other members of the church. They would say there's no possible way that God could have been there, been there and had the authority to do something like that in a church like that. But once again, being there, being raised in it, believing in it 100%, I was healed on the spot. Hmm. And th- those are just a couple. There were many others. Right. And, and not only my personal experiences, but a lot of other stories that my other siblings and my parents and my father would talk to me about and share that they had very faith-promoting spiritual experiences as well. Right. So it happened quite frequently, and they would often talk about these spiritual experiences as a way to even believe stronger that that was the one and only true church on right. this earth. Yeah. So now, like, <clears throat> being out and even, you know, in the mainstream LDS church and out again, like, how do you see those spiritual experiences now? Because you said you, I mean, you felt those feelings. And, of course, you're saying with the first story, how could you have if it was such an evil uh, you know, they were doing evil things in that home. And, you know, and then do you think, I don't know, I'm just curious what your yeah. thoughts are. I feel like they're two different things. But yeah, what's your, t- like, how do you make sense of those now? I have the same question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to or make sense you? of yeah. it. Yeah, or do you even try? Yeah. Well, it, it's hard to make sense of it. And it's extremely hard to make sense of it while also trying to be respectful of other people's spiritual experiences, right. if that right. makes mm-hmm. sense. And I think you know where I'm going here with this. <laughs> But I just want everyone to know that I don't doubt that people can have spiritual experiences. Now, what a spir- spiritual experience is, or what a spiritual experience is exactly, I have no idea. I don't know why people are having spiritual experiences, but I do believe that people are having them because I was having them. Right. Even yeah. though I know now that I don't believe in the teachings of that church, I don't believe in the FLDS church at all, I still can't deny that I was having what I thought at the time anyway were spiritual experiences and very strong ones too. Right. So I just think I, I'll say this, but I, I don't want to come across as saying no one is having spiritual experiences, but I think that my, I was convinced to the point that and had enough conviction and faith in things that were going to happen the moment that I walked into a home or the moment that my father commanded them to happen, I think that people underestimate the power of the mind. Mm. That's what I'll say. And I also think there's, I don't know if this exactly fits, but I learned this new phrase of collective effervescence. And it has to do with like Mm. when you're with a group of people and you're all kind of feeling the same thing, like a concert would be a good example. If you're all just kind of there because you love this artist and this music and I would like say, oh my gosh, I, like I would have said, I felt the spirit at this concert, but then why would I feel the spirit at the concert? Like there's nothing about God or Jesus here. There's nothing about the church or whatever. Um, but like feet, almost feeding off of each other's belief or 
something common or, and not that that's not real either. Like I do feel like a spiritual experience, like a concert or if I'm having a, a really good conversation or whatever, but, yeah. and then just the collective like belief that you're supposed to believe that way. And this is what they're telling you. And I don't know, there's a lot there. And I think to the mind is super powerful and who knows, I don't, I don't know what makes people have spiritual experiences either. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was thinking about yeah. how we do kind of feed off of each other's energy, you know, and I don't even know, we don't, I don't think we know exactly how energy works, but I do feel like, you know, if people are having strong feelings and then you're in that same room and you're having strong feelings, it just seems like it elevates the feeling in the room. Same thing at a concert or at, you know, the meeting it, with the, with your whole family and the blessing, you know, but the other thing I thought of is like, you were a sick little boy and deserve to feel better and you were given a blessing and whether you want to call it God or like some kind of power or whatever it is like you had every right to be healed as the the kid in the LDS church that was getting a blessing or the kid at the Catholic church you know what I mean so I don't even understand you know yeah. how how all that works but I feel like and you were you were healed and you were blessed and so whether that was through the some kind of supernatural power or spiritual power or whatever or was it the power of the mind, like, you know, we don't know, but I mean, I guess we can be grateful that we have these kind of cool experiences in life, you know, and, but it right. is interesting that certain religions and belief systems, it's very easy to then make that mean, well, then this must be true. And that's obviously what right. happened, you know? And then I do think in the case of going into Rulon Jeff's house and Warren Jeff's house, like, like you were saying earlier, you were told they're they talk the, to God. Yeah, and, they're yeah. the prophet. They're, so of course you're gonna have this like reverent feeling and when an you go in there to like shake their hand and go to their mm -hmm. home and and it's kind of that self fulfilling mm -hmm. prophecy thing of I do. I mean, it's almost like when we meet a celebrity or something. Like you're kind of overtaken with the awe of that person, you know. Like whether they're whatever they are. Like sometimes it's just kind of their status in the world, even that could you know. you meet the president or something like you're awestruck. So anyway, I don't know. I think that there's different ways that we can try to make sense of these things, but also I don't want to take out the spiritual element because I do feel like some, you know, some people feel very sh tied to whatever spiritual experiences that they had and, you know, never want to diminish that. And I think you did a great job explaining that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, and it, and it does go <laughs> not being able to explain everything I think goes far beyond even the spiritual experiences. Uh, this is after I, I had left actually. So I guess I'll share this experience because I think it ties into this and then I'll go back to my transitioning or shifting out of the uh, FLDS church. But I'll just kind of the unexplained here. Shortly after I left the FLDS church, I was with some friends and keep in mind as well, within the FLDS church, we were not allowed to swim, at least not in any, in any big bodies of water. And we were allowed to splash around in a stream and things like that. And even when we did go in a stream or play in water of any kind, we were always fully dressed. So for the men, we wore the long sleeve button-up shirts with collars and jeans. And for the women, most people know this by now, but basically prairie dresses that were also covering down to the wrist, uh, up to the uh, collarbone and down to the ankles. So always very, very covered up. But we weren't really allowed to go swimming. And it was taught that Satan was in control of the water. And also in the FLDS church, we were taught that Satan was in charge of the air. So we weren't really supposed to go on airplanes and things like that oh, either. Wow. I did not hmm. know that. So, no, I didn't. 
Yeah, so the air thing, I think most people don't really, haven't really heard, but I think the water. I know, the elder, isn't that on Sundays? Only Sundays. Yeah, and I feel like people <laughs> That's how I... talk about hearing that on their missions a lot. Like, I feel like yeah. my husband and my dad both heard those on their missions. Yeah, I just remember a neighbor said that we lived in an area where there's lakes and ponds that we, and so they'd say, oh, we can't swim on Sundays because Satan rules the water on Sundays. And I was like, what? Because we'd go to Lake Powell and, and swim on Sundays. Nothing ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I was right. even grazed yeah. LDS, but I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Satan rules the water? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so that was kind of the idea in the FLDS as well, is that Satan was in control of the water. Anyway, I had recently left. I'd been out for a few months at this point. I still hadn't, I wasn't allowed at that point to go back and visit my family, but I still had somewhat of a communication with them. They had my phone number. I had their phone number. So at this point, the the ties between my family weren't completely severed, but I was with some friends, and we decided to go out to one of the lakes there near St. George, Utah. And they were all cliff jumping. And so, you know, I thought, yeah, why not? It sounds like a good idea. And so we all jump on top of this rock, and they all jump off. And I'm like, wahoo! And I jump off, too, on the way down, thinking, you remember how I've never swam and never have been in a big body of water oh, in my life? <laughs> so I'm falling. I splash. I'm I'm freaking out. I'm drowning, right? I'm taking in water. I had no idea how to swim. Thankfully, someone nearby had uh, saw me and rushed down a little bit later and threw me a floaty and I, a floaty saved my life. But I I was, I got out, but it was a very traumatic experience for me. I was so afraid. I thought I was going to die for sure. And I had left my phone in the truck that we came to the lake in. And when we walked back up, I had received multiple, I don't remember if it was like six or something, a ton of missed calls from my mother. And I was like, what in the world? Because, I mean, we're not really communicating right now. I had just left. We don't really have this close connection. And so I was very concerned. Like, I thought maybe something was happening to her. So I call her back and she says, Samuel, are you okay? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm fine. Why? She's like, were you in water recently? I'm like, oh, wow. what in the world? How could you possibly? She, she had n- the friends that I was with, none of them were from the FLDS. There is no possible way that she could have known that I was in water. Wow. There's no way. And, and, and she just said, I felt very, very strongly that you were in trouble and that you were in water. Wow. So explain that one. Yeah. Wow. Right. That I mean, crazy. the intuition, the mother's intuition, the mother's I guess. Intuition. Right. That's all yeah. I can think. Yeah. <laughs> mother's also, intuition. I'm not trying to laugh at the idea of you drowning, by the way. I'm realizing I'm like chuckling over oh. this. But <laughs> you have to understand if anyone knows Sam or a little insight into Sam's personality, he doesn't like not doing what other people do. Or like <laughs> if someone challenges him, he'll just do it. And so I'm just picturing you up there with like, like okay, I'm jumping, jumping off a cliff and stuff. And he's just like, oh, yeah, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to do it. But probably better. Like, that's yep. just, yeah, so, <laughs> I don't know. Just you're such a miss out. boy moment. I, I definitely guess. I definitely fell off that cliff in style. <laughs> yeah. Sw- See? Swimming, swimming not so much. But, yeah. <laughs> but your mother, I mean, the, the fact that she, I don't know. Yeah. At the feeling she that she needed you. to make sure yeah. you're okay. And that mm. makes me think like, oh, your sweet mom. I mean, yeah. mom's, yeah, that's awesome that she. So did yeah. that experience kind of bring you guys back to talking? Well, actually, we might want to go back in your story a little yes. bit. But, so yeah. I'll go back now. I just, when we were talking about unexplained spiritual right, connections right. And, and, and experiences, I just wanted to point out that 
happened. There's a lot of yeah. things that happened that are impossible to explain, I feel right. like, in this life. And so for me to say, you can't have a spiritual experience or your God isn't a real God or whatever, for anyone to say that to anyone else, I think they need to just stop in their tracks and, and realize that there are things that they couldn't explain that are happening in other religions too. So yeah. just something to, to, I guess, mull over and think about. Right. But jumping back into the FLDS church, um, so man, there, there was a lot that was happening really. I mean, in 2006, Warren Jeffs was caught. Finally, he was put on the, uh, FBI's top 10 most wanted list because of the things that had come out about what he was doing. He was forcing under underage marriages. He was controlling people, taking on underage brides himself. Uh, I mean, really young, really young. girls and sexually assaulting all of these things he was doing and so when the word got out they were after him they caught him in 2006 actually in las vegas and he had all sorts of wigs and disguises and things and he was he, he was driving or he was riding in a red car and red escalade and i think that the reason this is important is because red was not allowed in the flds church we oh, were told wow. that red was a sacred color reserved for Jesus Christ to return in his red robe. And so oh, we wow. weren't allowed to wear red. We weren't allowed to have red vehicles. Is that why red Melissa's was just wearing a red today? No, no. So <laughs> I, wear it, I wear it in protest to Warren. Yes. I, yes. Like every time I put on red, I always look at Sam. Like, like, you like it? You're like, this yeah. is my rebellious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. So anyway, just to point out, even to this day, sometimes when I put on a red shirt, I'm like, uh-oh, you know, what, yeah. what am yeah. I doing? So it definitely sticks with you. And I've been out now for over 15 years. So it's something that is just, it sticks with you when you're taught that your entire childhood. So he was caught in a red car and they, well, there was a lot of different trials and things. Utah wanted him, Arizona wanted him, and Texas wanted him. So eventually his biggest charges landed in Texas. And that's where he is today in his prison in Texas. But in 2006, I was still very much believing in the FLDS church. So when they caught Warren Jeffs, who was our prophet, my prophet, I was so confused and also kind of hurt by the fact that they could actually catch him because he had escaped very close calls so many times before that where the FBI or law enforcement would rush a meeting house and he would escape before they could see him. Uh, So many other uh, experiences where he was almost caught, but they didn't catch him. And those were always very, very faith-promoting, very strong experiences for the members that was telling us, hey, God is watching out for him, and God is not going to let him be caught. And it was similar, too, because you would hear about things like in, in the early days of the church with Joseph Smith, where people would try to come and steal the golden plates, and they would, and God would like put a veil over their eyes so they couldn't see them, and things like that, where you would hear of these stories. And so we just assumed that, you know, God was never going to allow these people, the outside world, to catch him. So he did, and it was kind of a, I don't know, a slap in the face kind of, like, wow, how could, how could he actually catch him? Yeah. So we assumed that he would immediately be released from prison somehow, that God would break down the prison walls and that he would be released. Well, that didn't happen, and we were told it was going to happen for years. Just so you know, to this day, 
this was back in 2006, the faithful members that are following Warren Jeffs are still praying for his release. And they still Mm -hmm. believe that one day God is going to break down the walls of the prison. He is going to walk free and round up his people and redeem Zion. They still believe that today. So do they believe what he did, he didn't, did they believe he didn't do what they're saying or did he believe what he did is not wasn't wrong? wrong yeah. Right. So I'll, I'll say what I believed at the time. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing that they believe still today. And that is that any evidence, well, <laughs> I'll back up. The FLDS people are not allowed to have the internet. They're also not allowed to watch news. They're also not allowed to read the outside sources and things because apparently it's all made up by the devil. And so mm-hmm. you shouldn't even be listening or watching any of that stuff. Now, if you do somehow hear about what he did, we are told to, or we we were taught to believe that all of that was fabricated. It is Satan working against God's church and that everything they are claiming Warren Jeffs did that is evil never happened. It's fabricated. Even if if his own voice admitted to doing something, they would still say, oh no, the fancy world out there with their technology fabricated his voice saying that he never said that. So what about like the women or girls that were involved in those underage marriages or the abuse? Do they mm-hmm. speak up about it or are they just too scared to, or are they not believed? Like, you know, yeah, go ahead. Just, um, well, it depends. There's been quite a few who have come out and written books and talked about it publicly. His daughter, Rachel Jeffs has a book. Um, she's been on multiple, um, TV shows and stuff. Brielle Decker, his 65th wife. She's been on all sorts of podcasts, news stations, documentaries. So a lot of people are starting to come forth and share. There's also, we have like insider sources like within Warren Jeff's family that say that still there's most of his wives. He had like 78 wives and only about 15 of them have left. And this source says that a lot of them feel implicated in the sexual child abuse. And so they aren't willing to like Um, even leave the church to begin with because then it'll prove that everything they did was evil instead of for God. And so it's almost easier to stay in and believe that it's because it's what God wanted than to like admit that what happened was evil. Right, because they could have been somehow complicit in some of what was going on and then that will... Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. When he had like heavenly sessions and had like group orgies and stuff with underage girls with some of the wives that were, you know, some underage, some not already married to him. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all married. But all of those older women didn't stop it from happening to, you know, the 12 and 13 year old wife that Mm. was there. And it's so sad because they're all just those women are so brainwashed to just trust him. Like, yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's it's sad because they're all victims in it. Right. And, and so, of course, your next thought would be, well, all this evidence, you know, how, how is anyone still believing in this? Well, first of all, they're taught not to believe what apostates say. Yeah. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're, they're not supposed to believe what apostates say. If they're, even if they write it in a book, doesn't mean it's true, right? Mm-hmm. I even had someone recently, and then, oh boy, <laughs> this, this is hard to even say. I had someone recently tell me, not not super recently, but within the last few years, that still believes in Warren Jeffs. And I, I brought up something, some evidence against him. And they told me, they said, well, did this evidence come from a female? Because if it came from a female, it's most likely not true. Oh, wow. um, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Just to give you an idea of where their mind is. Right. Yeah. That even if the women were tried, tried to speak out, they wouldn't believe him anyway. No. Exactly. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, and of course they're going to teach that because yeah. it's going to be the women that are most, yeah, mostly going to be women truth. that are coming out and saying, right. hey, this was done to me. Yeah. Right. right. But it kind of works with their story because they're like, well, these are the priesthood holders and these are the leaders and the prophets. And yeah, that system is so steeped in patriarchy that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yes. So very I difficult. wanted to ask, how old were you when this all went down in 06? So in 06, I would have been 16 years old. Oh, okay. Interesting. And then did you say he he took over in 02, Warren Jeffs yes. did? So it was uh -huh. only four years mm -hmm. he was... Before he got arrested. Wow. Well, okay. Really That's really true. Sick, Rulon right? was old. Yeah. Right. I remember we watched that, Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey. Did you uh -huh. watch that? Mm -hmm. I, could, I can only handle so much, but yeah. Yeah, I, I did. Know. And it was tough. It's just interesting. It's so, hard to watch. Watching that's kind of helping me you know, kind of put that with your story. Because I do feel like a lot of the people in that would say, yeah, when Rulon was was in charge, things were much more loving. And, you know, there wasn't, it didn't seem to be as much corruption and the underage things and like that. But mm -hmm. so when, when But Warren, still your sister was married to Rulon or Warren? Rulon. To Rulon. So, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, was, so that's, yeah. if I just look back at my little childhood and my personal experience, uh, it was, I thought everything was great when Rulin was the prophet. Mm -hmm. Well, see, and that's, yeah. and that's the point is define great, right? right. I, felt, yeah. I felt that I was safe and had a good loving family, but I was also constantly afraid that God was going to smite me somehow right. if I did anything wrong because, I mean, the teachings over the pulpit were very much hellfire and damnation and smiting and all sorts of... You know, like world. we were very afraid of the destructions and that people, other countries were going to come in. <laughs> we were taught that we were so important that other countries like China and Russia were going to come into the United States and, you know, let's just skip over everyone else in the United States and get to the FLDS <laughs> small community to Utah. and destroy <laughs> us, our little community, oh. because, because we were the only ones that had the truth and that God and, and that Satan was going to sand everyone to come destroy us. So yeah, those great. are the kinds so much of things fear. that we were taught. Yeah. yeah. Fear, well, and fear, it sounds fear. like, oh yeah, like, I mean, we don't mean to laugh, but like laughable now, but when you're in that, I'm sure, and you're believing it, like, why wouldn't you believe that? That's what you're being taught. Well, and it's so scary to not yeah. believe it. Yeah, because what if because if it is true and I do something wrong, then yeah, bad yeah. things are gonna happen. Well, that's your world, yeah. So I was always afraid. So I I yeah. say I had a good childhood. I feel like I had a good childhood compared to other people within the FLDS that have now shared their story. Yeah. I feel like I had loving parents that did want want what was best for me. Unfortunately, I was born in the Jeff's reign. So even yeah. even when I was younger, Ruth and Jeffs was the prophet, but Warren Jeffs was already trying to insert himself and try to take charge of certain things. And so most of my most everything that I remember, Warren Jeffs was involved somehow within the leadership of the church. Right. And and when his father passed away, he took charge and just destroyed it. Like you said, it was a few years, four years. And he was in prison. He, th that's how quickly he turned everything around and started doing all of these very immoral things. Yeah, I thought I think it's an interesting parallel to think about that, you know, you were in the FLDS and you had a, like you said, a good experience overall, like for what it was. And, you know, you weren't in an abusive home and a mm -hmm. lot of those things like you didn't experience some of that, but other people were in the community. And so I think it's a parallel that we can remember is like, 
you know, in other religions, like whether it's the LDS religion or the Catholic or whatever, I think we hear a lot of people say, well, because that wasn't my experience, that must negate other people that are saying that that was their experience. It must not be true because this is the true religion. And, you know, bishops would never act like that. And Mm -hmm. leadership would never do that. And I just thought of that as you were saying that I'm like, Oh, it sounds familiar a little bit, you know, even though, but it's so easy for us to look at your situation and be like, well, yeah, that makes sense because you had a safe place within this dysfunctional religious system. But you know, these other systems aren't like that. Like, you know, they can't be, but really, I I don't know. It's, it's like, really, I'm, I'm not trying to say like all religion is the same because again, I'm not trying to bag on religion, but I think it's just important to realize that, yeah, it's no different people or people, whether they're in the FLDS church or the LDS or the, you know, whatever one you're talking about. Mm. So I hate to like diminish other people's. Yeah. Because there were girls and not just girls. I'm sure anyone, you know, a lot of different individuals in that system that were being hurt while you fortunately weren't. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to mention often (laughs) as a girl, I feel like I can say it, but like the men in the FLDS too, like obviously the women were treated horribly and the patriarchy was very, very strong and they were taught to keep sweet. The men though were threatened that if their wives, if their children, if everything in their household was not perfect, that they would be kicked out of the community. They would lose their wives. They would lose their children. Most of their businesses and all of their financial things were given to the church. So if they weren't perfectly in line or if a man dare stood up and said, I don't want my 16-year-old to be married to an 80-year-old, he could lose everything. His Mm. home wasn't his. It was signed over to the church. He loses his home. He loses his wives. He's no longer allowed to be in contact with his children. He loses his company, and he's out on the streets. Mm. So the men were terribly abused as well, even though it's in a different way way than what the women were. They were workhorses. They were expected to give over tens of thousands of dollars to the church and concentrate all of their money and efforts into the church over their families constantly. Mm-hmm. And if they mm-hmm. dare stood up, Warren would remove them for the, from their families and not let them be able to be a part of their family's lives at all. Wow. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. That abuse of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. Now there were men out in the FLDS church that took advantage of their patriarchy power, right? Mm-hmm. That was a thing that did happen. So we can't say that every man out there was good. But I would say most of them were just trying to have a good family, live good lives. Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. And then really, for a lot of them, there was no winning. Because if they try too hard to be perfect and be good, then they would gain too much respect from from the community. And if they had too much respect from the community, somehow they became a threat to Warren Jeff's power. And so Warren Jeff's would kick them out. So it was, there was no winning. It was a lose-lose all the way around. Right. Yeah. What a hard, that's very interesting to think about because I think we often think of the women and the girls, but what a hard spot for the men too. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've heard, and I, I don't know where this is from. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, obviously there's men marrying a bunch of women. So if there's not any women for the men, like what happens to some men that don't get married? I mean, do they get kicked out a certain, is there a certain age to get kicked out or is there an expectation to be married by this time and have so many wives? Well, uh, well, things things started to change once Warren Jeff started having any kind of power. And he, at that point, because before the Jeffs took over, it, wa- it wasn't common to see someone, even in a leadership position, have 
60 or 80 wives. That wasn't the norm. Even leaders would, you know, have, yes, they would have multiple wives, but not nearly that many. And there were a lot of men I saw that only ever got married to one wife. And then there were other men that never got married at all because it was completely up to the prophet or the leaders of the church to decide to whom and when you would get married. It was all arranged. So I was going to ask that, that, is it arranged from the very first marriage or is it the plural wives that are arranged or is it even the very first? Oh, interesting. Okay. But even that changed over time. That was started real well. That kind of started with the Jeff. So it always had to be like the sealing power had to be done by the priesthood. But before Ruland Jeffs took over, wasn't it before Ruland yeah. that people could say they weren't allowed to date, but they could be like, would it be OK if I married so and so? And like mm. guys and girls could still kind of ask for permission of okay. who they wanted to or who they were interested in. And the prophet could like approve it. OK. Right. And then okay. it wasn't until Warren Je- or not Warren, sorry, Ruland, Ruland that it started being where they had absolutely no choice or input whatsoever. And it was all just the prophet. Hmm. Well. Right. You would just hope for that phone call that you could get married and then or dread it if you were a young girl (laughs) right yeah sisters like crying on the phone those poor girls yeah yeah it was it was hard but because i was raised in it i thought it was the normal right and and because it was taught that you know that was really your only purpose in life was to bring in money to the church to help build up the kingdom of zion and to get married and have kids i mean how man i must have been 14 years old and i was like yeah i think i'm ready for my first wife i can do this right like <laughs> like it was taught so strongly that that was like our purpose, purpose that, yeah. you know even at a young age i was like oh well i guess this is what life is all about so yeah but it seems like so many of the, st- of the stories are like old men with young women so mm-hmm. who do the young men marry if there's you know are there well, still enough women <laughs> Well, I mean, do you typically some, a, a marry lot of the young men were forced out of the community. A lot mm. of people have heard of the Lost Boys. Yeah, and they are basically young to. men or young boys that, in some cases, well under age, well under 18 years old, that supposedly did something against the church teachings. And they were, in some cases, literally just kicked out on the street and said, get out of here. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. Well, That's the bar so to be kicked out was so low. Like, when... People think, okay, they must have done some like huge sin or they were having a girlfriend. Like they could see a movie and that would be enough to get them kicked out. Uh, if they were cases. found listening to yeah. music, like the bar was so low of like, if you do anything that would be a normal teenage boy thing to do, like listening to music in your truck or just as an example, but like, yeah, he, Warren Jeffs could really make up any excuse, you know, oh, right. you had impure <laughs> thoughts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what does that okay. mean as a teenage boy? Thoughts, like, yeah. oh, I was thinking of boobies. Like, so now, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, things right. just, it could be anything. And he would be like, you had impure thoughts. Now you have to leave. And the young boy's wow. thinking, well, I did think of this. So maybe that's what it is. Like, half the right. time, people didn't even know what they were being kicked out for, no matter the age. Even right. grown men, he would be like, you need to repent. And the guy would have no idea what he even did. Okay, I guess I'm repenting. Hopefully I'll figure it out. Exactly. But you could walk up to any random stranger on the street and say, hey, I know what you did last year. And everybody's going to be able to think of something that maybe they shouldn't have done, right? right? Right. And especially when it's within the FLDS church because you're not really allowed to do anything, (laughs) right? So (laughs) So you're going to be able to think up something. And and Warren Jeffs could just kick you out for whatever that reason was. 
Yeah. Wow. Well, it just seems really convenient to for for them, especially for these boys and these teenage boys to be like, oh, you did that, you're out, because then that's going to make more women for us Available. in the long run. Yeah, or girls or whatever. So it had yep. they had a, the system down there. <laughs> right. So yeah. it was sad. Definitely yeah. it was for both the girls and the boys. It was just a, a difficult time. And thankfully, uh, so in 2006, he was Warren Jeffs was caught and put in prison. And I continued on until I reached the age of 18. And at that point, <clears throat> I <laughs> it wasn't that I decided I wanted to leave. I started having some concerns and doubts, and one of the main reasons I had concerns and doubts was as we would go out and do construction jobs outside of the FLDS community, in some cases we would meet other families and other people, and this one specific job that we did, it was a remodel job for someone's home, and it was a active, very strong, active uh, LDS family. And as we were doing this work for them, they would come out and talk with us and, you know, very friendly. And they would always say hi and they always seemed very loving and, and very, I don't know, just a very happy and strong family. And so that, that was kind of a, a, I don't know, turn my head like, huh, what, what's going on here? Because we were taught that everyone outside of the FLDS church couldn't possibly be happy. That in some way or another, they were on Satan's ground and he was in control because they didn't have the truth. And so when I saw these other families out there that were very happy and seemed very loving and kind, it made me start to wonder if what I was being taught wasn't true. So at age 18, me and one of my brothers, with no plan of doing it, even the morning that we woke up, <laughs> we had no plan of leaving. I had probably $20 in my pocket. And we just decided, well, I'll tell you how we got to that point. We were doing some work for this family. And after we got done, we decided to go to dinner with one of the daughters of this family. And, <laughs> and we just went to dinner, had a good time. And then after that, we were just talking. We drove to a park and we were sitting in the truck just talking and chatting about everything. Before we knew it, it got to be two o'clock in the morning and we thought oh boy if we go home the amount of trouble especially mm -hmm. if they find out that we were with an outsider <laughs> and a female outsider on top of that i mean we are we are in so much trouble and so we looked at each other and we looked at her and we we said uh what if we don't go back what mm. happens then what if we just don't face whatever is waiting for us over there <laughs> and we don't go back? And this is in St. George, Utah, that we're sitting and thinking these thoughts. And she says, well, m I mean, I'm sure my family won't mind if you guys want some time to think about it. I mean, she thought we were crazy, of course. But if you need somewhere to stay tonight, you can stay on my couches. And we were like, okay, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> so we went back with her to drop her off at her home and we stayed on their couches of this family that, uh, that we had done a job for and that they were very kind to us. And the next morning, of course, the, the father of the home woke up and came down and saw these two polygamous boys, <laughs> obviously <laughs> by the way we were dressed on his couches. He was like, what in the world? And obviously called up to his daughter, knowing exactly who it was that invited them <laughs> into the home. And 
but mm-hmm. very accepting from the second from the second we woke up very accepting and loving and that day actually actually happened to be sunday and so they invited us to go to church with them and so in that way we were introduced to the mainstream lds church and this is a long Very story long story as well but but the family ended up taking us in and just kind of taking us under their wing and saying you know what we're here for you we'll help you out with anything you need it, you know like we'll, we have a, a casita you can stay in for the time being we got you and mm-hmm. so with that kind of support we decided that we were going to just stay out Wow. Was your brother older or younger than he you? He was just older than me. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And were you feeling like scared, sad, like what did I just do? Or was Liberated it this kind of like or... a relief? Yeah. yeah, because you said when, you know, Warren was arrested, it seems like you were starting to have some doubts, but this is a couple years later. So yeah, what was your thought process? Have you seen the movie Tangled when she leaves the tower? <laughs> oh. oh yeah. <laughs> And that Just, that yeah. was my yeah that, that was you <laughs> happy sad crying Freedom, yeah, yeah. Happy, yeah. Happy. I'm the worst daughter in the world yes. yeah <laughs> that was kind of Aww. my feeling on top of all of that uh, thankfully Rapunzel or yeah she never had lightning come down and strike her from God I was constantly afraid of that too I was afraid oh, wow, that yeah. because I had left God's true church that I was going to be smitten somehow yeah. and so that was a big concern not to mention. It's hard to even try to begin to explain, even as a teenager at 18 years old, how difficult it was to know what it meant when I left home. Because I knew that if I chose that life, it meant I was no longer welcome back home. I was no longer going to be able to have this relationship with my parents and and loved ones. And most of my siblings at that time, and still most of my siblings, still follow and believe in Warren Jeffs. So I was going to be cutting ties with my family, my parents, and the, the other moms, which, of course, I had grown very close with. So it was just very, very difficult. So at first it was like, yay, freedom, I can do whatever I want. And then it was a lot of, oh, no, what have I done? And there were multiple <laughs> times that I even actually wanted to go back. I mean, I got to a yeah, point where I thought, names. man, this yeah. life out here is hard. I don't have a job. I don't know what I'm doing. And so there were moments where I thought, you know what? I should probably just go back. And and at that point, I still believed Warren Jeffs was a prophet too. Even though I had left, I still down deep inside thought that, you know, he's still a prophet of God. So eventually I'm going to have to go back if I want to go to heaven. So it was a lot of conflicting, difficult decisions. uh, But in the end, my brother and I worked together, and we decided to just make it work and stay on the outside. Hmm. Wow. That's so interesting. It seems funny because I felt like there was going to be some big thing that you figured out or something, but it seems like it was just kind of little things, and then one day you're like, maybe I just don't go back. You know, like right. I feel like crazy. that goes back to Sam being that teenage boy that I was laughing at earlier, that that's just kind yeah. of like your personality of like, uh maybe not i'll just probably yeah. do this but yeah everyone like expects they're always like oh, did you realize what warren jeffs had done and then you left. Yeah. He's like, nah. nah i was just like eh, yeah. i don't want to go home <laughs> there were a few things that i mean of course there was the concern that i was being lied to there was also a lot of the rules and a lot of the things that we were told we could and couldn't do that i disagreed with some of them especially at age 18 you know i i wanted to be able to date 
And I don't know how the other man didn't like they just lived until they were told that they were going to marry someone that the prophet told him to marry. I don't know. At age 18, I decided that that wasn't really something I was okay with. So there were some rules and things that I just started disagreeing with. I should also probably point out that both my father and my mother tried very, very hard to keep me there because I did talk to them after that. After yeah, I chose I to leave, ask, yeah. they wanted to know where I was. They wanted to ask what in the world I was thinking. How could I possibly leave the only truth and, and abandon the teachings that I knew were true? And so those were some very difficult conversations as well. And of Were course, these on the phone or did you see them? Well, uh, my mother was on the phone. She was just begging and sobbing. Oh, oh man. It, so it's sad. just, these are the moments I try not to focus too much on because yeah, it's, so it's not something I want to relive, no. you know, knowing what I did yeah. to my mother by choosing to leave, even though eventually it didn't take long after I had left to realize that what was going on within the FLDS was not okay and that there was no way I could go back. At that time, you know, I felt, I felt that I was very selfish and I, mm. I, I definitely hurt my mother. And she, I mean, to this day, if I could talk to her today, she would just beg me to come back Aww. because she still believes a hundred percent in her belief and that she believes Warren Jeffs is a prophet. And anyway, so it's very heartbreaking. I only got to talk to her on the phone and to this day still haven't talked to her face to face. I did talk to my father face to face after that he wanted to meet with my brother and I so we sat down with him and he tried to convince us to not leave and all of that but it was it was hard but in the end we both had made up our mind and we wanted to live a different lifestyle and chose to to move out at that time wow wow yeah that is hard you know what I like about what you're sharing and your stories I feel like it's a realistic you know, we were talking about, oh, there wasn't just like this big aha moment. And I feel like sometimes that's how it's portrayed, like in the movies and things. But like, if you understand psychology and the unraveling that it takes from, you know, any kind of belief system, let alone this kind where you were so insulated. And it was like, I mean, to me, that just makes perfect sense that it was these steps. And it's almost mm-hmm. like you knew, like maybe your intuition, because you had some of these Moments. things. Yeah. From, you know, Warren Jeffs getting arrested. And like you said, you wanted to date, like some of these things pushing you forward, but it was this kind of slow, slow process. But like you said, once you were out, you kind of saw it more clearly, but I, yeah, I mean, if you were in that, how can you even see it until you've gotten out? I right. don't know. Cause you guys are so insulated yeah. and yeah. yeah. Right. So did you, exactly. this, um, did you know how to read? I mean, I'm just, I know that it don't do like yeah. formal education. So yeah. no, I was only homeschooled and it, it wasn't the, the best education for sure, but I didn't know how to read. Okay. I was oh, not, very I mean, good I kind of assumed that They'd want you to read read the scriptures or whatever. Yes. So I did read. And as a young boy, I liked to read. Back in the day, we had a library in the Short Creek area. And I would ride my bike or go there with my parents. And I would like to just walk in and pull any book off the the shelf and just read. I love to read. Shortly after that time, Warren Jeffs actually destroyed the library and didn't want people to read anything that wasn't his sermons, basically. But as a young boy, I always loved to read. And so spelling and reading was something that I wasn't amazing at, but I would say I had a pretty good grasp on. Uh, Some of the other subjects were, I was definitely lacking in. And so that was something that was really difficult as well is 
moving out into the big world and almost immediately realizing that, oh, I don't really fit in out here. As an 18-year-old with the knowledge that I have, with the belief that I came from, it's not what most 18-year-olds believe and knowledge that most 18-year-olds have. So I very quickly felt out of place. Yeah, I'm sure. And did you have your brother still with you? You were living in the home of that LDS family still? So we stayed there for a short time and okay. and then the we reconnect. That that's a that's a another big part of the story, but for the first several months, about the first 4 months, we just traveled. We knew how to do construction. We had a few connections, and so we just went to wherever, Nevada, Utah, wherever it was around the area to find these construction jobs and make any kind of money that we could. So we just did that for the first several months, barely surviving. And eventually we decided we wanted to kind of build a home base. And so we rented an apartment in St. George, Utah. And at that point, reconnected with the LDS family that had taken us in. Also about that, about that time, four months after I had moved out, another one of my brothers left as well and came out to live with us in our apartment. And at that point, during that time, the... LDS church or the LDS uh, family that took us in had invited us to listen to missionary discussions. They had talked to us a lot about the church. They had invited us to church. And my brother that left with me had zero interest, never showed any interest at all. In his mind, he had just left the one true church. Why in the world would he join another? (laughs) And and, and and I can kind of understand where he's coming from, right? I mean, it kind of makes sense that, you know, this is the truth. And if you now believe that's not the truth, then maybe there is no truth, right? So that Mm -hmm. was kind of his mindset. And so he didn't really have any interest. My other brother, though, that left about four months after me, he did have interest in the church. And so the two of us together learned more. We were taught by two sister missionaries. They invited them over to their home, and we would meet with them there. It was a very unique experience for these two missionaries. As you can sure. under, as you can probably imagine, mm-hmm. because they would start off like normal. Uh, you know, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Of course, yes. Awesome. And do you believe in uh, the? Do you believe in prophets? Oh yeah, definitely. God have prophets. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, what about? Have you heard of Joseph Smith? Yeah, my buddy Joseph Smith. Love him. Yeah, believe and, in him. You know, in the book of in the Book of Mormon, I'm like best book yeah. ever. Love yeah, it. you're so, like I know it better than you guys do. Probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The dream uh, investigators, right? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, any better than that? So a lot uh, of the same things all the way down. We were on the same page all the way down to current prophet. Hmm. And at that point, when they asked the question. Do you believe that at the time Thomas S. Monson is the prophet of God on the earth today? That was so hard to get to that point to admit that a different man could be the prophet. Because as a young boy growing up in the FLDS church, the number of times that I stood up in front of my family, stood up in front of other group settings and testified and knowing that that Warren Jeffs and Ruland Jeffs were prophets of God, it was so hard to try to switch my mind to believe that another man could be the true prophet of God. But eventually I did get to that point and I, I just felt that, you know what, maybe, maybe there's something to this. And for me, I needed a direction in my life at that point. 
everybody leaves a religion and feels differently. They need something differently. Everyone has a very unique experience when they leave a belief. I needed something. I felt like I was going crazy. And I don't like to be that person that doesn't have a direction in my life of exactly where I want to go and which goals I want to reach. And so for me, the LDS Church was a soft landing that gave me an opportunity to still believe in a lot of the same things and give me a direction. Not to mention that my basically my baptismal interview was by Elder Holland, actually. Oh, oh wow. So because, you, because is it because you were in the polygamous community, yeah, have, have like special so be, permission, oh. right? Exactly. So because I came from the FLDS and it was so similar, Elder Holland actually interviewed me and my brother just to make sure we understood no, why we no longer practice polygamy, <laughs> the differences <laughs> in the church, and things like that. And at the end of our interview with Elder Holland, he looked at us both and said, "You know, you two would make some fine missionaries." And I was like, yay. Didn't really know what a missionary <laughs> was all about at that point, other yeah. than the, the small experience that we had with the sister missionaries teaching right. us. <laughs> Sam's the cliff jumper. Remember, he's yeah. like, yeah. Oh, oh, sounds good. Yeah, so shortly after that, we went home, and we were shocked to find that so many people in our ward, so many people around us were just like in awe that we were that we had met Elder Holland. We were like, I mean, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Yeah, you're like, I live <laughs> next door to Warren Jeff. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, would, I, I would, think I would have profit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we were kind of shocked by that, but, you know, it was a good experience, and we thought, well, what's this mission thing? And so both of us prepared for a mission and ended up about a year after joining the church, we both left on a mission and both served in Chile, actually. But oh, well, cool. two different missions. So we never saw each other during the two years, but we were both same in country, Chile learning language. the same language, you that's know, cool. sharing experiences in that. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So how yeah. long had you been out when you, Melissa, when you met Sam? I was wondering that too. So he, that was in that first, that was in that first year. So it was before he had gone on his mission that he came to my okay. 18th birthday party. Cause we're like six. Yeah. Oh, was it was the birthday. six months okay. after he that's left. Right. And did you know when you met him that he had left the FLDS church? Yes, I did. So, yeah, he was always pretty open about it, like never really hit it. I will Mm -hmm. say, so everyone from out there, a lot of people, they have a very like hick accent. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. how to describe it, but it's very unique to the FLDS people. And they, a lot of them have this hick accent. And so we had gone to our lunch table. The weird thing coming back, like to when we re-met five years later. So, yes, I knew he was in the FLDS and whatever, but we only went on those two lunch dates. And then when we re-met, he didn't have an accent at all. Mm. Well, he had turned into a man, which was, you know, great. But like, <laughs> he doesn't grow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he didn't have the accent. And then our very first date, he brought me back to his house. And I look at the pictures on the wall of the family. And I recognize them because I'd gone to school with some of them. And I didn't mm. remember him being like a part, but he's like, in the pictures on the wall and I was like really confused but this is a first date so I'm not going to ask like too many questions yeah and after our first date like the next night I think it was I had a dream and like literally had a dream about our first date and I had to ask him on our second date I was like I know this is a really weird question but I had a dream and I swear you're from the FLDS like (laughs) aren't you like you're from this polygamous family like how are you a part of this family I knew them in high school and you were never there like help me connect dots and he's like oh yeah yeah, they took me in and da, da, da. anyway 
Uh, but I was really confused when we re-met. But he lost his accent because of speaking Spanish on his mission for two years. Oh, oh interesting. So most people don't know he's from out there because he doesn't have no, that same accent. Yeah. same accent when he speaks. So I was really confused when we re-met because I was like, this is like, a whole wait, different what? guy than what I had met five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of the, I guess... So uh, maybe I'll back up just before the the mission and also talk about the difficulty that I have learning a new language on the mission. But before I left on my mission, because of the lack of education that I had, I mean, it's sad to say this, but I felt so dumb, you know? I mean, and I would try to put on this brave face that I knew everything and pretend to be this know-it-all because I knew so little that I felt like I had to... You overcompensate, know, overcompensate. <laughs> which was the boy that i met at 18 right kind of trying to overcompensate right oh yeah <laughs> but there were moments i mean i would do that when i was around people but when i was by myself there was there's the the college there in saint george and i would if i was going across town i would on purpose go around the college just so that i didn't have to see all of these smart people that i thought you know these students that were walking around because they just made me feel so bad inside that i could never possibly be as smart as them i could never accomplish what they are accomplishing and i just i felt that there was no hope for me in the education wow. side of things right. wow. and so anyway and that kind of leads into then i leave on a mission and most most of the people at the mission training center in provo before we we were there for about six weeks before we went to chi to chile our mission they would teach us a little bit about you know what a mission's all about and teach us a little bit about the basics of Spanish that we were going to learn, which, by the way, Spanish and Chilean, two different things. <laughs> but that's, that, that's another part of the story. But they were teaching us a few things, and most of the other elders, other missionaries there in that training center had taken some kind of Spanish class in, in high school or something. And so they were all just, you know, picking it up right away. I mean, I showed up, and people were like, hola. I'm like, what does hola mean? Like, I yeah. didn't know anything in Spanish. Oh, I mean, wow. zero. So I just had a very, very difficult time, not to mention that I didn't go through high school. I wasn't really good at even uh, learning or good at practicing or doing homework or that kind of thing. So I just had a very difficult time picking it up. So once again, I just felt like I was inferior. I was like, oh man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. But I get on the mission and I just fully accepted the people, the culture, and before long, I was speaking Spanish better than I was speaking English. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. it didn't take long, and I was just, I was loving it to the point that when I returned from my mission, I actually had a hard time with English, some of the English mm. words, because I was like, no, I'm only speaking Spanish. I'm doing this 100%. <laughs> it's the only way I'm going to learn. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so anyway, it was, a, it was a great time, and I think that's part of why I kind of lost my accent because I spoke Spanish for so long. Yeah, but and that was like a difference in his personality, like that five years later. Like obviously everyone grows up a lot between 18 and 23, right? right. So there's already <laughs> that. But he's lost his accent. He's not overcompensating. At that point, he had started going to college, which at 18 oh, cool. he had no intentions of ever thinking of. And I was like that girl who was very studious and I had like a full ride scholarship, like academic, you know. And so yeah. at 18, we didn't line up. And then at 23, when I re-met him, he's in college and all these things and has all these like goals and aspirations and yeah. just was like a completely different person. Yeah. And part of me but reaching... Just as cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> part of me reaching that 
point of even wanting to go to college was because when I was on my mission, I, well, first of all, I was, I felt like I was so humbled to begin with. I mean, I had, I had two-year-olds laughing at me because my Spanish was so bad. <laughs> I mean, it was very humbling, right? I reached a point where it was like, like almost rock bottom, you could say, as far as being humbled, and then built it back up from there. It was very challenging, but it was very good for me. And when I got back from my mission, well, first of all, when I got back from my mission, I should point out that the LDS family that had introduced me to the church and brought me in, they were the family that I came home to. They were the family mm -hmm. I was writing letters to every week. They became my family because my, uh, my biological family, I wasn't really allowed to have that connection or communication with anymore. So I, I wonder, do want to point that out. Yeah, yeah, did your mom and dad know that you went on a mission? Like, I mean, they probably knew, but did they you know? Like, off. Yes. So actually, oh, my father oh. and mother, they got special permission, and they were actually the ones that dropped me off at the MTC. Oh, wow. So it was actually during the time that I was on my mission that everything in the FLDS got so much worse and so much more oh. strict. And at that point, it was like no longer... Uh, allowed to have any kind of communication. Outside. I almost forgot oh. about that. You're right. I, I think at one point I mentioned that I hadn't seen my mother since then, but I had, oh, I did yeah. see her time. Yeah. on the trip up. Now, I will say as well, she very, very, very much disagreed with us doing this because she yeah. still believes in her religion and she thinks that we are, she thought we were joining an apostate church and that we were going and spreading a false Doctrine, message yeah. wow and yeah. so that's it was so that's hard. right it's two of her sons that's exactly i'm yeah. kind of impressed that they dropped you guys off like that they i mean i think that that says something to their character like it they does. wanted to see even you if so they much. didn't agree yeah. they still wanted they to. still took you like that's yeah. super impressive they could have just drove you off <laughs> you know back. i mean opposite way literally yeah. yeah i think, I think yeah. you're right thank you for pointing that out it does and this is something i always say about my parents is Yes, I was raised in the FLDS church, but I was raised in a dang good family. Mm. Uh, good parents that did, I mean, the amount of time and effort my mother put in, because just my mother alone has 12 children. Wow. And I felt very close to her. I felt like in a lot of cases, I was her only child. And I, I'm not wow. saying that she, that she gave me more attention than any of her other children. She just had a way of making each of her children feel special. Mm, so and that does speak to their character that even though yeah. they were disagreeing they wanted to show how much they loved us by dropping us off for for two years we would be out of the country and anyway oh, wow. it just it does and speak volumes your father was there when you came back too right and my father was there when i reached when i returned when my brother and i returned as well right. just to show his love and support uh for us as people not necessarily the church right yeah. that's that's really cool what did they try to Get, have they tried to get you to come back or was at that point they just kind of knew you weren't or you wouldn't be welcome back or I, at, at the point well my mother uh, to this day she would still uh she would still just say please come back yes but my mm. father i think at this point has probably come to terms with the fact that we're not we're not coming back right, right? Yeah. but even though he has his beliefs I think he comes. He has come to the point where he can respect our choices and our beliefs as well. But we've received like letters from his mother since being married, even, and you know, still in those letters begging for Sam to come back. Yep. Which I'm always like, 
she think like if we, like we would come as like a whole together and then yeah. we yeah. twice from there like i don't know how she like exactly pictures that working right, but happening, you right. can tell the sincerity like every time i read any of the letters that she sends it just reminds me of all the moms in sacrament meeting that would like bear their testimony mm. and talk about their wayward children and how mm-hmm. much they hope that their kids would come back to the church it sounds exactly, exactly like that that like yeah. my heart breaks because i i just oh, i see that right well, I just keep putting myself in your mom's shoes because, you know, I have like a 16 year old boy now and yeah, just imagine how hard that would be, you know, but I respect her so much for, cause I think her love for you and wanting to see you and send you on the mission and even totally going against, you know, what her beliefs were. I, I just right. think that's super respectable that she did that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I do know, and it, I mean, I know how much she loves me to this day. Right. And uh, she would love nothing more based on letters we've received than to have me and Melissa and the children with her and and being able to visit and all of that. But ultimately, she has a very strong faith in her belief in religion. And unfortunately, it is a religion that keeps her from us. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's sad. So it's with um, Warren being in prison, is there like someone that's acting as the leader? Or does he, he just lead is. from prison? So, oh, yep. Yeah. Warren right. is still very much in charge. He's the prophet wow. from prison. Wow. And uh, you know, some people ask us, how can they still believe him if he's in prison? And how can they look at him as this good person still after, like, he must be in prison for something, right? Something, right. And, well, in the FLDS church, we looked at it as, well, many prophets have been in prison, including mm-hmm. Joseph Smith. Right. Yeah. That's true. And, uh, and it, that doesn't mean that he wasn't a prophet just because he was in prison. That's what we thought. And still, yeah. that's what they believe is that he's been wrongly accused. It is uh, Satan's way of fighting against God's church, but it's not going to stop him from leading the church. Well, and it's wow. almost more proof that he is a prophet, right. right? It means that he's more righteous and that it is the true church because Satan's going to fight the hardest Hard, against yeah. the true church. He's not going to waste his time on churches that are doing evil things right like he's going to focus on the most righteous people on the most righteous church and so it's proof to them of why he is a prophet and then again they do always relate him to joseph smith so when i was going to say is there's this persecution complex that's exactly what i was going to say we're being persecuted because Uh we have the truth and everybody's trying to stop us because we have the truth and it is kind of a fulfilling of prophecies i'm sure like yeah they will smith Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm. prophets in the last days will be persecuted and Yep. And yeah. then when Warren dies in prison, he'll die a martyr, just like Joseph Smith. Yeah. yeah. And his blood how will old seal is he now? his mission. Yeah. Um, I don't know about age. Do you know how old Warren is? But there's a couple lawsuits that are still against him. He's been in solitary because oh, wow. they oh. don't think he'll survive in Gen Pop. We were told about a year and a half ago that he has a couple more lawsuits and then as soon as those are closed up they're going to put him in gen pop and they don't expect him to last even a year before he'll be killed most yeah. likely oh, because wow. child predators don't last long in prison, in prison that's he's oh, 68 wow. years old now okay okay wow, wow. <laughs> that's crazy so interesting so out of your 12 siblings how many have left the flds well, let's see here. Out of just my mother's alone, because I have a lot of half siblings. Yes, mm-hmm. I guess just your yeah. But just my full-blooded siblings. It's me. Let's see. Four or five of us. 
four of us. Oh, four. Four. Were they all boys or some girls? Yes. So I do not have any full-blooded sisters out yet. Oh wow. And there's about I think there's six sisters. So. Yeah. Uh, and then total from the 35, 36, there's 15 that have left. Oh, so oh okay. okay. A little less yeah. than half. Half. So do you feel like that's kind of coincidence that it's just been boys that have left because maybe they saw that, you know, you and the first brother or two leave, or do you think it's e- like a little bit easier for boys to leave because they have a little more freedom? Some of both. Yeah. Yes. So some of both. As, as boys growing up in the FLDS church, we got more used to the outside world because mm-hmm. we were going out and doing construction jobs and things like that. So I feel like we had a little bit better of an idea of what we would do on the outside. Sure. So not to mention that, uh, you know, being raised in the, L- in the FLDS church, the women are just taught to keep sweet and obey. And so to right. kind of to try to go out and do something on their own, I can imagine would be very scary. Sure. Well, and even you think purely opportunity, because just like what happened with you and your brother, if you hadn't have been out there on that job, it probably would have never happened. But girls probably aren't put in those positions much where they don't work on the outside. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely gotten easier for girls to leave now that there's such a support system for when siblings leave. So that's Mm. definitely been a big thing. You know, when Sam first left him and his one brother, you guys, I mean, they had had some older brothers from the first mother that had left. But they were kind of completely on their own just with the money in their pockets. Where since then, he's had brothers that leave and they come and live with us for a few weeks. He had one brother mm-hmm. who, him and a secret girlfriend, they just wanted to be able to have a family. So they came, they moved in with us, we helped them get married, like help them oh, get settled. You know, so once there's a support system of siblings out, when Sam had some sisters, some half sisters that left, they called Sam up and he went and picked them up. And oh. so it's easier for girls to leave once they already have other brothers or sisters that have left where it tends to be the boys, I think that are the first in the families to leave. Mm, Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Some of both. I mean, it's, it's definitely a lot easier for anyone to leave now because there's so much more people out on the outside, but in in the end, yes, I would say it's definitely easier for boys than girls to leave. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, do you think like 30, 40 years ago, it was probably pretty much impossible to leave. I, I mean, I guess you could, but, well, It'd even to harder. question, you had a way of seeing the outside world a little bit, seeing this family, you're saying, oh, they were happy, but they're not in our church. So how are they happy? Mm-hmm. Girls don't even have that chance to like, to see, to yeah. see and have an open mind or curiosity about other people. Cause you can't watch movies. You can't read books. You can't, so you actually don't know how the outside world really lives. Yeah. Exactly. So you don't have any like question, you know, you don't doubt or question or have some curiosity about what other people do. Right. Or even yeah, or or you even just probably are so scared. Yeah, they're so scared. Yeah. Or even when they do leave, there's so many social norms that they don't fully understand that now whenever he has like girls in the family that leave, I always try to like have certain talks with them that I didn't know until you don't know till you know, (laughs) like, oh, on dates, you know, they're taught that the world is super evil and awful and that everybody sleeps around. So one person had told me after they had left that when they first started dating, any guy that wanted to have sex on a first date, they just would do that because that's what they thought the outside world did, you know? So things like that. So just recently a girl left and I sat down with her. I said, when you go on a date, you don't have to hold their hand. You don't have to kiss them. You don't have to do anything. That is them asking for an opportunity to get to know you as a person better. And that is it. Mm -hmm. You know, conversations like that, that they just don't know if they think the world is this evil place, you're going to be able to still find people that are going to take advantage of you in that way. So 
Yeah. The more people that are out and can now show this middle ground of you don't have to go crazy when you leave. You can be in a happy marriage and you can have good kids and you can have a family and all that. The more encouragement it is for people to leave because they're like, oh, I can have a normal life and it doesn't have to be this evil off the deep end type of thing. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So it's, it's, well, I think in church and uh, religion, a lot of it's black and white. And so you think everything's black and white. So when you yeah. get out into the world without having the religion tell you what's right or wrong, like, I mean, it's just not so black and white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. World is or not. that every single thing is wrong. Everything exactly. is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So That's just really to kind of wrap it up here, I came back from my mission and because of the very challenging, difficult experience that I had had and had overcome, I guess you could say, with learning a new language and all of that, I felt very... I guess a lot more self-confident in what I was capable of doing. And so it was almost immediately I got back. I went and I got my GED and because I hadn't, of course, didn't have a high school diploma at that time. So I got my GED and jumped right into college. And awesome. of course, college was very challenging at first. You know, I mean, coming sure. from no schooling straight to no, college, yeah. no high right. school, not even very much before high school. And then riding to college was not easy, but I was, thankfully I was the kind of person that wasn't afraid to ask. So I would oftentimes meet with my professors. I would meet with counselors. I would just, whatever it took, I, I was determined to make it happen. And thankfully was able to graduate with a bachelor's, a bachelor's degree. So That's it was so cool. Yeah. We met like a year and a half after he got home from his mission. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's impressive. And I love the story of you thinking, I don't even want to walk by these kids. They're smarter than yeah. me and I'm intimidated. And then to get the confidence to come back and graduate. Right. It's kind yeah. of funny. Once I once I was in college and had been in college for a couple of years, it got a lot easier. College became this thing that was just like, oh, okay, yeah, this, is, this isn't even hard. No big deal. <laughs> and, and then I realized, oh, you know, I guess like everyone here isn't that smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. You, you're probably like, but, okay, I'm just as smart as anyone else. else. Yeah. 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 But That's it was awesome. very good for me. It was such a, I needed it. I needed that moment of proving to myself that this place that I was afraid of because I didn't feel like I would ever fit in or wasn't good enough. I was able to go accomplish it, graduate. It was a huge moment for me in my life. Well, and I that feel like you really had cool. a certain appreciation for it because we we got married when he was still in the middle of college. And one of the things that I loved about you was the fact like his determination and how much he appreciated everything he was learning. Because when you're mm. just raised going to school your whole life and you go to high school, you don't appreciate it. But like watching you be like in a history class and learn like about Christopher Columbus for the first time and the way that he would like take stuff in. And I'm like, you can't help your opportunity right and if you didn't have an opportunity to learn about that it's not your fault but the way that you like really cherished and worked so hard to gain all the knowledge that you gained i just always respected sam so much for that mm. oh yeah. yeah that's really cool that's cool wow what a crazy just interesting engage and really impressive really you guys are both just like, oh yeah really totally. impressive people yeah. thank you Thanks. <laughs> and then from there, I guess we kind of already shared. Yeah, we did like a big circle. We, we yeah. kind yeah. of shared that. And then f fast forward to, I guess, kind of where we are today and how we even got into this growing up in polygamy channel that we have. Yeah, yeah. Was really me sharing my story a thousand times and, and realizing <laughs> that for some reason people are interested in this. 
<laughs> because you think about it, if you come from this, you come from a place where it was just your normal, it was your life, you don't think that it's interesting. I thought that I had the most boring, boring childhood in the world. I was like, why would anyone <laughs> want to know about that? I wasn't allowed yeah. to do anything. What sort of yeah. thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Didn't have any adventures. But then yeah. as people found out where I was from, even in Chile, I told my story a hundred times in Chile in Spanish as well. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I had all these people asking. Uh, we moved down to Vegas together and we met some really good friends here. And they were just fascinated by the story. And they just thought, wow, how are you not like on YouTube or something? How are you not telling this to the world? And and so that kind of started us thinking. I got him a microphone <laughs> and a um, camera and I like shoved him in a room. I was like, go tell your story. Like, we'll put it on YouTube. And he came back <laughs> out happens. and he's like, that's impossible. Like, I feel so awkward sitting in front of a camera. <laughs> and it wasn't until like a year later that our friends were like, no, you have to. You have to do it that we decided maybe if I ask the questions that everybody's thinking, because from an outsider, I think there's so many things that are so fascinating. He's like, well, what if you just ask me questions about things that people want to know? And I just answer them. Then I don't have to think of how to like present it all on a silver platter. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was so awkward at first. I mean, if if you have a story and you just want to go sit in front of a camera and tell it. Yeah, that'd be hard. I'm like, mm-hmm. I had brown shoes when I was a young boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I, it was just right. so yeah. hard to figure out what the outside world would find interesting. So it was very helpful to have Melissa there to just ask me the questions from an outsider's perspective. Right. And what year was that? When did you guys start the channel? We started in August of 2020. Yeah. I would say. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. so awesome. not too well. It's like, like three time, and a half time years. Time flies, flies when you're having fun. At first, yeah. though, yeah. it was kind of just a, you know, we'll just go share a random fact or, you know, what, what it was like. like. To have four moms. Yeah, what it was like for four yeah. moms. Just share random facts here and there. Uh, just, and it was sometimes we did it every week and then we would skip multiple weeks and do it again. And so it was kind of just something we would do on the side. It did not take long, though, to start receiving messages and start receiving um I guess what the phone calls and different things from people that really started connecting with us from the FLDS church and from other religious backgrounds. And we thought, oh, wow, this is turning into something more than just me sharing my story. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where we started taking it a little bit more seriously when we realized that we were actually able to help other people. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah. Raising yeah. compassion and awareness. Right. So yeah, even just that. the compassion, it's so easy to look at the FLDS and be like, they are so crazy and they're leaders in prison and like this crazy group over here. How could anybody think or feel that way? And then when you take a second and hopefully through either some of the things that we've said on YouTube or through reactions to other videos, we help kind of like try to bridge that gap of well, it's also similar to the way this group feels or this group feels and realize that like there's so many more similarities between everyone than what there are differences. It just takes a yeah. second of like being willing to open your mind and feel compassion for somebody else to realize, oh, you know, I also felt that way in my religion when someone would tell me that I had to do this or just taking those opportunities to find connections between yeah. people. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so cool that you've used it as a way to help other people too. Like, so have you, like people that have been on the inside maybe come across your YouTube channel through like research and kind of, they're not supposed to be online, but they are. And then they, a lot more than we realized. (laughs) Really? That's so interesting. We're starting to hear more and more that people that are still in it 
are somehow hearing episodes or different mm. videos and things. And we've even had some confront us like, oh, how dare you tell your story? Well, and I'm, sure, I'm like, yeah. hey, but how come you're listening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. have, yeah. I shared, to be listening. have I shared any false information? If the answer is right. no, then there shouldn't be a problem here. Right. Yeah. But even well, and they probably from- know of you because you were there. You know, it's not just like some random person on the Internet that left some random, you know, like I'm sure. And they know your family. And, you know, so. Yeah. And people a- from other groups, too. Like we've been surprised. Sam's like we've had calls before from people from the AUB or from the Kingston group. There was one mm. kid. He didn't even want to share his name, but he called and talked to Sam for like an hour or two just about. He's nervous to leave his polygamous group, and he saw us and thought that we looked like we were happily married. And he was oh. like, I didn't, you know, I've been told that if I leave, I'll never be able to find a wife and a companion, and you look like you're in a happy marriage. Like, what was dating like? And Sam's just talking to him about what it's like to date and how it is possible to find your person on the outside of a polygamous group and things like that. So, moments like that is when we feel like yeah. we're doing something. For people yeah. That yeah. yeah and i love that and you hear that so much like if you can just share your story and listen to other stories we can learn so much from each other and like you said we have more in common than we don't and i mm-hmm. just think we other everybody everybody's different every oh that i would never believe that or i yeah they're crazy but if you hear the story you can see why you thought the way you thought you can see why when you you know met this family outside of it why you were like well wait you know why you questioned i mean there's so many things that you can you know understand and have compassion for and yeah. your mom and can understand even like Melissa said, like you hear testimonies all the time in the mainstream about how sad families are when their kids leave and that your mom's feeling the same mm-hmm. way. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Well, we should share like where people can find you guys if they're interested in um, following you and checking out your videos and stuff. So basically it's growing up with polygamy, right? I mean, do you want to tell the audience how to find you? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, so it's growing up in polygamy. We are primarily on YouTube, but we also have a podcast on all the platforms. And we do have an Instagram. We're uh, horrible at Instagram. We, are, we, like we apologize. <laughs> Our Instagram and TikTok is kind of not really being used, but we are there as well. And you can message us through Instagram and that kind of thing. Okay, awesome. great. And we're that's kind of where we primarily share, actually, is Instagram. Instagram. So we'll link to your Instagram like we're not on YouTube or anything yet. I mean, we can tell them how, but yeah, then people, we could um, link to your YouTube from the show notes of this episode. So anyone listening will just make it linkable. You can click over and yeah. and awesome. check them out. So yes, yeah. So and much. I always see, I follow you guys. Yeah, and so same. I see your videos come up and watch your clips and yeah, you guys do a really good job and have a lot of interesting topics. I'm excited to like dive into some of, some of them more. So, yeah. Awesome. and I do think yeah. it's cool. Like yeah. you're talking about that kid that said, you guys look like you're happily married. I do love your like vibe with each other like you do like genuinely just seem like you have a good relationship and enjoy each other and i don't know you're just cute, you're a really cute, cute couple, couple. <laughs> yeah and well, i really think we do we do enjoy each other <laughs> we thank <do>. you yeah <laughs> and you've been through a lot together i mean i yeah. think it's just cool you know I, just the whole progress of your relationship i think is really neat right. and, and just kind of being side by side as you're mm-hmm. going through life yeah. that's awesome yeah. yeah definitely can grow you even closer together that's for sure when you go through yeah. your faith transition and oh yeah. I agree, we got yes. we got very lucky that we were able to do this faith transition together i know there's a lot of people that are afraid to tell their spouse if they have any questions or doubts about the religion that they're in and yeah. all i can say is that if you're already in a point where 
you are not really believing and your spouse is and you're afraid to tell them, I would say, you know, maybe just start mentioning very small things because we've seen people just get to the point where, you know, they no longer believe and finally they just get sick of it all and they say, you know what? I don't believe in any of this anyway. And it just destroys marriages sometimes. So we were very lucky to not have to deal with that. We both had questions and concerns right from the beginning and not everybody's that lucky though, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel the same with my spouse and yeah, I feel lucky that we were on the same kind of path and the same thoughts. But you know, I do think I have friends that have mixed faith marriages and they make it work. And I do think it's a lot about communication and probably communication earlier like we said is better than later or if it is later to kind of make sure you remember how you felt in and how how it felt to you know hear about a sibling leave or a friend leave or people you love leave it was hard and so to remember those times where you when you were in when you're having these conversations even not your spouse but a parent or friend or sibling or whatever it can be hard on both people going through the faith transition for sure yeah All right. Well, at the end of our podcast, we always ask our guests how they find beauty in life after going through their transitions. That's a good question. That is a good one. (laughs) How you find beauty in life? I'd say I find beauty in life through our little family. Anytime that the four of us are together and like Sam and I are, I don't know, together with one focus on our kids and having a happy family life like i just find it so beautiful and i love every second of that yes i would second that you know it's all about the family for us it really is and we also love nature being out doing things travel you know and so i think that it's family and travel for us is where we find our beauty Mm. there's both great i love that (laughs) yeah I can agree to both of those for sure. Yes, yes. Nice. Well, thank you. You guys are just the cutest couple, and we really appreciate just your vulnerability and your time and being willing to share your story. I just was fascinated the whole time, honestly. I just, (laughs) I could probably talk to you for like an hour. I was going to say, like, we have all these questions. We could talk for three more hours, I'm sure. But (laughs) But we could go on your YouTube, and I can probably get some of the questions answered. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I was just thinking, hopefully, we'll see you at the Holding Out Help event. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. Come find us. We'd love to get to see you again and to meet you in person. It'll be super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That'd, That'd be, be awesome. awesome. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and would love if you subscribe to the podcast and followed along as we continue hearing more inspiring stories. You can also follow us on Instagram at Beautiful Shifts Podcast, where we will post updates with our latest interviews. We'd like to thank the band We The Lion for giving us permission to use their beautiful song Move Along for our podcast. Take a minute to listen to the song and the lyrics and enjoy. I find a way to know myself All my thoughts are mine again And begin to understand where to go Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along Take this journey as my own Feel the strength right in my bones All I want is to believe Life is my own Life
take a chance, I won't be wrong. Yes, now it's time to move along. Now it's time to move along. Take this journey as my own. I feel the strength.